Greetings, everyone, and welcome to The Stacks. This is Jay. And I am Janier Wolfcastle, who's <laughs> not actually having anything to do with this film. I mean, kind of, sort of. Yeah, sort uh, of a little bit, but not directly. McBain. Uh, <laughs> McBain, the, the Simpsons character, uh, wasn't named after this, nor was this named after the Simpsons character, but they stopped using the name McBain, or they, they stopped calling him specifically McBain for the release of this movie. Uh, they they invented the Rainier Wolf Castle name as the character who plays the actor uh, when this came out. Yeah, I think the idea was uh, hopefully so that people wouldn't hear the name and just immediately associate it with Simpsons and maybe somebody could remember this movie, but it didn't work. Well, it's weird. It's it's much like Stone Cold, which we covered a little while back. It's from the peak action era. Both of these are 1991 films. And it's just like the, the McBain show or the, the McBain movies on The Simpsons are such a perfect parody of this era. And it's just oh, incredible it's... that there are <laughs> movies like this one and Stone Cold and others that came out and are insane. Like they're totally bug nuts, but nobody's heard of them. They just sank like a stone. Man, it's got Christopher Walken as like a a commando style action hero almost. I kind of feel so. There are two things I feel probably contributed to this not having much success. I think Christopher Walken is part of it. I love Christopher Walken, but he's not an action star and i think very much at the time 1991 is like christopher walken action star no thank you (laughs) people were voting (laughs) with their wallets not going to that box office he doesn't do a lot of action himself in this movie true true he's not really doing a ton of action stuff he's really just one of an ensemble it sort of feels like it's a movie that was written for an ensemble cast and then they ended up with a star so they kind of made him a main character and gave him some fucking endless speeches, which are just, the oh man, his speeches in this movie. His his talk about Woodstock is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. There's one time I got high, but then someone told me that drugs are bad, and now I don't know what to think. There was a New York Times op-ed article, and they said Trump was probably the guy, so I'm, I'm all confused now. I, I was an independent voter. <laughs> yeah, it, McBain is, he's a weird character. Uh, he really is. He's he, hes not, yeah, he's nothing like the Rainier Wolfcastle character. He's no, a, no. He's quiet. He, well, yeah, I mean, Rainier Wolfcastle is obviously Stallone, or not Stallone. He's Schwarzenegger. Uh, Schwarzenegger. He yeah, is. He, is, he is completely a Schwarzenegger type, and <laughs> you don't cast so... Christopher Walken as Schwarzenegger. Well, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so... From 1991, director James Glickenhaus, who's sort of a cult action director. He, he's one of these guys. All of his films are this kind of action, uh, and they're super well-respected within like a cult audience, but none of them are big hits. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why the president... Oh, yeah. No, this rules. This is like, so American. Like, <laughs> freedom the movie. Yeah. Uh, he he also directed uh, The Astrologer, which is this really insane movie about 
uh, an an astrology messiah who comes to earth and heralds the apocalypse and there's an antichrist and shit that movie's insane uh the exterminator which is like a an early 80s crime exploitation movie it's kind of a uh a death wish knockoff with just some dude going after criminal gangs in the inner city <laughs> oh yeah that, that's right uh, that's there's some of that important <laughs> uh, another important difference between this and the simpsons mcbain uh simpsons mcbain is a cop this guy is a nobody i mean he's, he's a vietnam veteran but officially now he's nobody he's a welder yeah he's he's not uh, <laughs> he has no authority he's not even no the military anymore <laughs> the military it doesn't even call him in for like one last job that's no, not even no. what this movie's about no, it's it's a blood debt. So it opens in Vietnam because our characters are Vietnam veterans. This is kind of related to all of the Vietnam vet movies I was watching this summer. I was doing a ton of those. Uh, we've done a few. We've done a few. I, I was doing so many of them. I find it a really fascinating uh, just category of movies because they're such a strange exploitation era that exclusively comes out of the 80s mm, yeah. kind of dies off by the mid 90s but there's just this huge glut of them in the 80s uh but it in terms of the peak action what i was talking about before uh the i i feel like so there's the christopher walken element as i said he's not he's not schwarzenegger it's very weird no, no he's not a stallone he's not even really a seagal yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd watch him over Seagal any day. I would watch him over Seagal, but... <laughs> Seagal's not an actor. Seagal's not even... I mean, Seagal's not a martial artist either. Seagal's well, just... Yeah, it turns out. <laughs> yeah, Seagal's just a fake pile of shit. He sucks. But in terms of the story, I, I feel like, well, it's just War on Drugs. So people didn't go to see War on Drugs because, you know, where's the robot? Where's the alien? I mm-hmm. I, I, I could go see Terminator 2 and, and get, like, the the double version of this and have like a liquid metal robot fighting a super cyborg from the future. And, and it, you know, I, I, I don't want to go watch Christopher Walken and Maria Cachito <laughs> Alonso take over Columbia. <laughs> oh, that's another interesting thing about this is they're not, it's not a fictional South American <laughs> nation. <laughs> it is crazy how close to reality. So much of this is supposed to be that they just have characters who are based on, close to like their their names are not quite the name of the real person it's like we know who you're talking about like simon when, escobar who could simon that be escobar. To? like they they don't they they should have named the president like greg bush or something <laughs> <laughs> instead of flynn like, come on we know what you're doing so 1973 it's right at the end of the vietnam war at the beginning of the movie and <laughs> And there's the, there's this crew of Marines, our our main guys. It, it is our main characters who will show up later. I love how, like, at one point they're saying, "Man, did some? How come nobody told these VC that the war is over?" And I'm just like, "How come nobody told you that you lost?" Well, they they just they're they're leaving. You know, the thing is, these guys are in country. They're not. They're they're kind of explicitly made to be the good guys, 
You know, yeah. they're they're here, they're in with the natives, they're just hanging out in a small village, and they're friendly. You know, they're given a bunch of stuff as they're leaving. It's like, okay, here, mm-hmm. guys, we're, we're heading out of town. Uh, and they pass over a bamboo dome. It's like, that's a bamboo dome, which means POWs. This was a yeah. big 80s thing. Vietnam POWs, that there's like thousands of them there. No... Uh, evidence of this being a thing that actually existed, but it was a huge 80s movie thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, so so hold on. We don't that I, I thought it was a real thing because it was so huge. I, I'm actually just finding out now that maybe maybe not. As far as I know, totally fiction. Uh, I, I, I as far as I know, there's no uh, like the, the reason there's this discrepancy in numbers and this is kind of getting into deep stuff. I, I was watching Ken Burns Vietnam uh, over the break in August and September. So I have additional uh, Vietnam background in my mind now, but there, there is this whole furor about uh, missing Vietnam uh, soldiers, people who were not sent home. And it's more just, those are bodies that weren't recovered. Uh, yeah, they, yeah, that makes <laughs> you know, it, sense. It was, it was a chaotic war. They did not bring everyone home. But it's not that they were POWs. It's just that they never found them. They, they're missing in action. But yeah. Oh, and people, so people, I guess, kind of were like, well, if they're missing, they must still be alive, right? So they must be it, a POW, right? You're kind of approaching it with too much good faith. Think of it oh. as the current MAGA Republican Party. It's one of those. It's sort of one of the early things that build into the modern uh, reality versus non-reality side of politics. It's like, well, this is a fiction that we think is very useful to our cause for promoting military and going back in there. And we love oh. Yeah, so it's one of those. Oh, of course it is. Man, anyway, why can't anyone do anything for good reasons? <laughs> I don't know. So they, they see the bamboo dome. They're like, all right, we got to go back. Uh, we didn't see anyone in there, but come on. We know yeah, what it's course. for. We got to check. So yeah. as they go past, we cut down to there and all of the VC are filtering back in. Like they had hidden while the plane was going or the helicopter was going over and they all come back. So the director of the camp has this necklace of ears. <laughs> of course he does. <laughs> Classic. And they've got Walken, Christopher Walken, McBain. He's there to do a, a battle in the Thunderdome. Like the, the bamboo dome is a Thunderdome. <laughs> yep. And yeah. of course, they, these armies always have the one big shirtless guy who's really hard to fight. Yeah, and he looks like... Vietnamese Rambo and it's, it's totally does <laughs> it's walking having a fist fight with him and then of course uh, our helicopter guys they drop in and they raid the place uh, and as they begin the attack walking gets a hold of a knife and kills the director and, like throws a knife at him yeah <laughs> so they're uh, walking is the one guy who's not a member of their team which is kind of interesting because he's the one who gets yeah. together the team later yeah, that's that's right. He's he's he meets them I, here. <laughs> I thought it was his team, and Santos is the guy who's helping. No, it's Santos's team. It is Santos's team. Uh, so why didn't he didn't... have the sister contact one of his teammates first? 
Well, it, it's because of the blood debt, but yeah, it's right. it's strange. I mean, it, it is just it sort is. of, it's weird that he is the guy who gets together all the rest of the team when none of them had any relationship with him. Because <laughs> they all see, they all act like they do later. Yeah. No, it seems like they went way back, but clearly they didn't fight together. This was them leaving Vietnam. Yeah, they they would have known each other for like maybe a however long they were on the helicopter getting out of here. Yeah, they knew each other for the flight home. So it is weird that McBain is our guy who gets the whole team together. But anyway, uh, apparently original title was McBain 7. They should have just called it 7. Could have had another 7 that was a big stupid oh, action yeah. movie. Yeah, only this one seven. could have had the seven kind of like angled in such a way to look like an N at the end. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I did see something with Rodrigo Obregon from Seven recently. Rodrigo Obregon, who's in all of the Sedaris movies. I saw him in something else. I was like, oh my God, a Sedaris guy in something else. <laughs> I'll remember it when we get to part three. All right. <laughs> so yeah, they... Chaos, they take the place. Uh, Santos, Roberto Santos is our leader, I guess, of the 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 Vietnam crew, uh, his Marines, the the copter. Yeah. And he shoots someone who's about to stab McBain in the back. So blood debt. Yeah. He gets yeah. a hundred dollar bill and he tears it in half and gives <laughs> half it to Watkins. Like, all right. The other half of this bill finds its way to you, then you know our our blood debt is fulfilled. Yeah. <laughs> so we cut to eighteen years later in Medellin, Colombia, <laughs> and I, like you said, it's crazy that it's actually Colombia. You know, all of these kind of movies they just set them in Sierra Gordo. You know, you give it a fake name, you you yeah. make it just a fictionalized South American country. Here, no, or, it's Colombia, <laughs> or or like um, Fast Five, where it's set in Brazil, but you're not talk toppling the actual president of Brazil. You're toppling an organized crime guy. Well, although it's a, an organized crime guy who runs the police there, so yeah, it's, it's, but it's like, sort of in this vein. But yeah, definitely not. We the, the entire com the entire presidency is corrupt. It will execute people on live TV and uh, is in the pocket of the cartels. Like that is exactly what they're saying in this movie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I, I think it's probably better for the people who made the movie that it's not so popular because I hear the cartels don't like people saying things like that. Well, this isn't a cartel though. This is fucking Escobar. I mean, yeah. Escobar, everybody knew who well. Escobar was. No cartel <laughs> is going to come out. Like, that's not that kind of cartel. This isn't okay. this isn't that level. They're they're blaming the the president. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one thing that I know, uh, Colombia, when they get when they show the 18 years later, it looks exactly like the Vietnam they just left. I, they may have just shot it in the same place. I honestly <laughs> had to like. <laughs> Remind myself is like, okay, now why is he suddenly helping the VC? Oh, right. No, this is a different thing altogether. It's 18 years later, it's his guys. <laughs> yeah. So it's Roberto going to like the small town he grew up in. He goes to see Christine, who is his sister, uh, played by Maria Conchita Alonso, uh, the female lead. I can't call her a love interest. <laughs> they do hook up at the end, but there is no precedent for it. 
Do they? Because well, I'm thinking are, of just the final like moment. It looks like they're gonna? I don't, I don't know. think so. I don't think so at it's all. It's weird. The, the, we'll get to it, but I, I yeah. think it is the least... Uh, there, there's zero romance. They're, they don't even oh. attempt it. <laughs> <laughs> but their plan, uh, Roberto's plan, they're going to overthrow El Presidente. <laughs> and he's like, listen... If anything goes wrong, I need you to contact Bobby McBain in New York. <laughs> and he's like, this time the CIA said they would help us. Christine's skeptical for some reason. I can't imagine why. <laughs> you know what happens when you trust the CIA, right? Well, that would probably though. work out. Yeah, no, this yeah. they said they'd help us. We're sure it's going to work out. Uh, we'll we'll get in there. Uh, so the way they get into the palace. Uh, they're disguised as people trafficking in sex workers. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Several of them are sex or like are dressed up as sex workers. And then there's a couple of people ferrying them in. And then there's like three dudes piled into the trunk. I really like them <laughs> opening the trunk and all those dudes coming out like a clown car. <laughs> it's pretty fun. <laughs> so they go into the place. All of the kitchen staff are obviously on their side. Of course. They that's... just help them instantly yep. uh one thing that i found really funny there's a trap door that has been installed directly <laughs> under the president's seat <laughs> yeah and, and like the, the revolutionaries they come up like you see him come up with a knife and i thought they were just going to cut off his dick right there i thought this might be that kind of movie right well they <laughs> they come up the trap door and they you know get, get the knife up to his balls and like okay we've got you just cool uh, so the Liberation Army, they overtake the presidential office and it's during a propaganda speech, like he's doing a live speech to the, the people. Yeah, they're, uh, they've got their, they're sending their message out live broadcasts like, all right, if the CAA wants to help us, now's the time. Yeah, we, we need you. We've got the president. We've got everything under control right here, but we can only hold out for a short period of time until... All of the tanks and helicopters and shit get here. Meanwhile, at the CIA office, cricket chirp. <laughs> well, we don't even see the CIA office. We catch up no. with the American president. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I thought that like, they had all these agents like piling into this boat and going all fast. I thought it was just the CIA springing into action. But no, it's the CIA telling the president, hey, somebody fucked up. Well, they need to go get a hold of the president. He's he's off on a fishing trip. So right. they, they have to get on boats and find him, and then they get to him. And the CIA are like, no, we've never heard of this guy, <laughs> which is obviously a lie. But yeah. I'm just like, I guess it was some independent guy who told him. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's always the way these things work. I think that was the same excuse they used for uh, all, all of the uh, Afghanistan stuff. I wouldn't be surprised. Which is, you know, uh, stuff we were talking about last week. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but of course, the president, though, he's a real red-blooded American hero. He's like, don't you fuck with this president. Well, it's weird. He's such a strange character, the president in this movie. I don't get his deal. Because at he the start... He doesn't do anything. Well, he does nothing. And I think that is partially the joke. But at the beginning, it kind of seems like he's supposed to be... Like, it, he's... He sympathizes with the rebels at the beginning. He feels bad. He's like, is there nothing we can do? And they're like, no, no, 
totally impossible to help. Uh, by sundown, yeah. they'll all be dead. Uh, even though, like, the public supports them, all of them want to support them. I don't understand why they can't in this context, because it kind of just seems like they could. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they just really don't have anybody close enough to get there in time. I doubt that. Uh, I that's, doubt that. That's too. not believable. That's not believable at all. <laughs> no, it isn't. Well, we, uh, we can't do it. We just, I don't know, man. We just can't. Right. It just seems like well, we can't because I don't want to. It, it just seems like it would be complicated and it's too much work. But we can't because uh, just let McBain do it. Well, uh, they don't know about McBain. They don't know. If Mc only Bain. they knew. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They don't even know about McBain. McBain is not a known quantity in this universe. Yeah. Uh, so uh, at the presidential palace in, in Colombia, soldiers arrive and they've gathered all the women and children of the rebels and they're going to crush them with tanks. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> and the president's like, he's got a gun to his head and he's like saying, hey, you better actually give me the gun that's pointed at my head. Yeah, give that to me because uh, they're going to do this. And Roberto does the wrong thing. He stands down. He he does not think this through. If he shot the president, those guys are going to just fall in line. They're not going to uh kill those people because then they're going to be executed by the huge mob if there's no if there's a power vacuum at the top <laughs> yeah yeah it would uh, poor choice um i mean it would cause a lot of conflict down the road because there'd be like people fight but it would save the guys who are being crushed by the tanks now and it still ends up happening we're still yeah. gonna end up shooting this fucking el presidente in the head so <laughs> should have just done it at the start and yeah santos could have survived but Obviously, he gives the gun to El Presidente and he fucking ganks him right on live television. He shoots him in the head. We don't see it at first. I love this part. Like, they cut away, which you're fully expecting them to do. So it's like, yeah, okay, they cut away from the gore shot. Well, and okay. we hear the audience go, ah! mm -hmm. you know, one of those classic big gasps. And then it cuts yeah, so... to McBain just in a bar in like, <laughs> New York or something. Wherever, I, yeah. I think it's New York. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, no, it has to be New York because she said he said to go find him in New York. Yeah. But and he's, he's sitting. Yeah, it's on the news. And we just see the, the fucking headshot right on the live news. It's like <laughs> like okay. seconds after the actual camera cut away from it. I, I think yeah. that's that was so funny. unexpected. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> it, it really shows you how this movie is going to go. The violence in this movie is quite escalated. <laughs> so christine gathers a bunch of money from all money and jewels and stuff to get to new york uh get, gets everything she can from the people in the village uh and this is where we have the first of our many terrible fucking freedom pop ballads <laughs> well it's the same pop ballad actually I think there's two different oh, actually there? I think there's several different ones. They all just sound the same. They're very similar. Oh. They're all the same freedom genre. There's uh, one that they do repeat. Th this, this is, is the song, song of freedom. For freedom. Yeah, I this hate it. This is a song against terror and hate. Yeah. I hate Am I it. wrong to dream about freedom? It's, it's terrible. I fucking hate it so much. It, it, like, it is the worst part of this movie is that they have a bunch of this. Like, there are so many parts where, all right, 
shitty pop ballad. Like, give me some synthesizers. Give me the yeah. Brad Fidel synthesizer stuff of Terminator movies. I don't give me action music. Yeah, why are we doing like? I, it, it's such a strange vibe when that happens. Like, it it, it just totally goes. Like what? Why? This is a song about freedom. Like, come <laughs> on! This is not that type of movie. No, no, but it it well, thinks it is. It acts like it is sometimes. I don't even know if it thinks. Like, I do feel there is a satirical nature to most of this movie, but I'm not sure how deep the satire goes and how much of it is just this was the style of the time. But I mean, the thing with the president at the end, that's clearly satirical. <laughs> that, yeah, I was, I, it didn't register because I thought everything else was being played so straight. But then I was like, what is he doing? Is this relevant to the plot at all? And the answer is no. No, but it's so out of nowhere. Like, what are <laughs> but we, it's so perfect what? for this kind of movie, though. Yeah. <laughs> like, you would expect a freedom movie to end like that. <laughs> true, true. Well, I, I I, would say you would expect a satire of one. I, I would not <laughs> expect a... F- that's exactly why these freedom soppy ballads feel so out of place is because they don't belong in the rest of this movie, which is super violent, kind of elevated insane, and it has this satirical part, and there's the thing where he pretends to be a Mossad agent and all of that shit. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> oh, God, and, and like... When we catch up to the rest of the crew, what they're doing with their lives. Yeah, so that's basically where we're at. So first we get her, Christine, she comes to New York and she meets McBain in just the most epic fashion. Of course, he's welding the highest point on the fucking Brooklyn oh, Bridge. Yeah. <laughs> Brooklyn Bridge. <laughs> She's just, the, the other construction guys are like, oh yeah, he's up there. She just walks. They don't say anything. Walks up the cables. It's totally. Yeah. Let's go up to the very highest point. That's the perfect (laughs) play. That's obviously where Bane would be right now. If he's a welder, he is welding the most dangerous spot. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So they they go to a diner. And uh, she tells him about the cartels and how they've taken over Colombia and how the government is run by the cartels. And it's like, wow, we're kind of saying some stuff that <laughs> yeah like, we're making this some, is a real country uh, actual serious <laughs> accusations about this real country yeah. and and this is when he, like she goes through <laughs> all of this stuff about the real problems of Colombia and the cartels and how you know they they give coca leaves to sedate people and you know make them happy and uh just tend the fields and not do anything other than grow drugs and this is when he tells his woodstock story (laughs) which is so out of proportion she's talking about (laughs) this country that has been under the boot heel of cartels and is being run exclusively for their profit he's like yeah i went to woodstock one time and it was really fun you know everybody was sitting in the mud and we did drugs and everyone was stoned and happy for a few days and really seemed like a good communal time and everyone really uh felt good but then a couple years later someone wrote an article about it and they said maybe it was bad i guess they were right (laughs) (laughs) it's It's exactly that that's almost word for word (laughs) like that's the whole thing there's no reason why it was bad like oh they were stoned and happy so that's bad being stoned because they were stoned drugs are bad 
It's <laughs> the whole thing. It's like, what? The populace of your nation has been devastated by drugs. This reminds me of Woodstock. Yeah, this reminds thing. me of when I went to Woodstock and it was really fun. <laughs> <laughs> and I like, he would have done that before the Vietnam trip. I guess he headed to Vietnam oh, like, yeah. really shortly after. I, you, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but yeah, that oh that that <laughs> that speech just fucking cracks me like are you kidding me woodstock is the example you picked yeah like he could have at least gone with fucking altamont or something please anyway uh we catch up next with steve james who plays eastland uh one of the soldiers he's at the westatron board meeting where the shareholders oh, okay. are super unhappy, but the board guys, they don't give a shit. <laughs> we don't give a shit. We got our money. Fuck you all. Like, we, Basically we, that. Yeah. Shareholders keep coming up to the mic and they complain. He's like, yeah, well, who cares? And now sit down. <laughs> Next person. Uh, they have like a red buzzer button to shut them down. Not how unions work. Uh, not no. how shareholder meetings work. Uh, but anyway, someone gets really mad and punches one of the board members in the face. And Eastland uh, did not bother to try to stop the guy. So he gets fired. It's really like, it's really like, you were supposed to protect me. Well, it sounds like you were supposed to protect them. Right. Exactly. Neither of us did our jobs. Yeah, guess neither of us did our jobs. Uh, like all of the like each of these it's us meeting all of the the soldier guys from the start from the helicopter and finding what they're doing and every single one of them is really disappointed with the state of america <laughs> hey man considering how some soldiers from vietnam lived after they came back these guys are doing great most of them are doing really well uh, none of them seem to have any long-lasting mental trauma that has uh, affected them. Not even Christopher Walken, who was in a POW camp and forced to fight for his life. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, actually, he's just pretty, uh, pretty walking about it. They're like, it seems like they were at their, well, they even literally say we were at our best when we were in Vietnam. That was the best time we ever had. That, that was the, the height of our lives. <laughs> so, Fuck. I mean, I do think there is a satirical element to all of that. It's just, it's so deep in the text that it's hard to pull out because it just feels like propaganda. It really does. Like, because <laughs> it's, it's one of these urban apocalypse movies of the early 90s, which there were a ton of. Uh, on the good end, you have something like Boys in the Hood and Menace to Society, and then uh, it goes down from there, I suppose. Uh, it, it's, it's about just. You know, America is this horrible dumpster fire, this crime apocalypse, which is funny because it was always focused on the early 90s, late 80s, which is when it really started to decline from where it was in the 70s and 80s. But yeah, war on drugs. Uh, yeah, see, the drugs, is the drugs. That's the crime that matters. Right. So we see this uh, police officer die of gunshot wounds. Uh, from a crack deal gone bad, which is the silliest line that existed in the early 90s all the time. It's like crack deals are kind of ready to go bad from the beginning. A crack deal is already illegal. <laughs> yeah, what's a crack deal gone good actually look like? <laughs> Someone gets some crack. <laughs> I guess so. I guess. 
uh, it, it's just a stupid thing. I, I've heard entire comedy routines from the early 90s based on the premise of crack deal gone bad. I mean, how does it go good, sir? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I One of the things that's really funny when he walks out of the hospital room and he's talking to the nurse, the nurse changes the number above the door to now serving number 46. <laughs> <laughs> that felt like something from Joe versus the volcano. Yeah, completely. <laughs> uh one of our that, other guys. That's the first that was actually the very first yeah. clue I had that this might be satirical. I mean, I do think the the Woodstock <laughs> speech kind of clued me in a little bit, but again, it's like I is that was this just parody? walking being right. walking. Well, is this parody or is this just sincere bullshit? <laughs> yeah, there at that point I was still not quite sure. So one of the other guys, Carl, is a surgeon. And so we cut from the guy dying on the table to another guy who's a surgeon, and uh his patient has died on the table. He's not physically not dead, but he dead. is brain dead. Like he has zero yeah. brain activity. So the the nurse is like pronounce him there there is nothing we can do for this guy he is a vegetable we can use the parts and save other people and for some reason this offends him so much that he quits his job as a surgeon (laughs) i was like i i know it's kind of brusque it's it's harsh but this guy is dead he is brain dead move on It's just not a reasonable reaction from a surgeon. But again, this feels like satirical. These are our main characters. And they're all these guys who just don't fit in society because they don't want to. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. Like, any one of these guys could just live a decent life with what they've got. Like I said earlier, they're lucky. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially Ironside when we meet up with him. I love Ironside. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. So Dalton, the surgeon, and Gil, the cop whose partner died on the table, meet up because they're both in the vicinity of the hospital. And they commiserate because, you know, they heard about Santos dying and they're like, man, they shouldn't have done that. (laughs) Yep, they shouldn't have done that. Uh, And, you know, obviously his partner died and they're commiserating. He's like, ah, man, Vietnam was the best time we ever had. We should do another (laughs) one of those, I guess. (laughs) they're uh, about to yeah i mean that's the plan well they don't know yet but yeah so eastland uh he he quits his job or he he's fired he's the he was the that was the you were supposed to protect uh, the shareholders uh and everybody meets up at ironside or frank bruce is the character's name his giant fucking mansion because he got crazy rich after vietnam yeah i i feel like he's like an arms dealer or like a private military corporation guy like he started one of those kind of things he is an arms dealer yeah because he's the one who provides the arms for this (laughs) for them to go on this expedition Uh, there's this so the way mcbain talks i I didn't write down any of the lines from the woodstock one but uh, i wrote down a line from this because it's one that stuck out to me as completely fucking bizarre just as an analogy (laughs) yeah he gives another one of his uh weird speeches here yeah so he's talking about the money in the drug trade and the money in the arms trade but his 
analogy for it is so tortured. He says, if you took weight of all the people in D.C. and turned it into gold, <laughs> right. it would be less. I forgot about this one. It would be less than the annual worldwide drug trade. Like, uh-huh, okay. <laughs> What's your point? What does that mean? What? What does that have to do with anything? Why? <laughs> well, maybe we should shut down drugs and turn everyone in DC into gold then. That might yeah. be better. Is that what you're saying? And he's like, but the dollar amount of the worldwide arms trade is even four times that. So it's to explain how Ironside has this huge mansion with like classical art and, sh and shit. But what a bizarre way to get to that point. Like you could just say he makes four times what the drug dealers do. That's literally all you're doing. What's all this shit about turning all of the weight of every person in Washington, D.C. into gold? What? <laughs> yeah, like, like, are we supposed to be able to visualize a number and then be like, okay, the drug deal is four times that and then the arms trade is four? We <laughs> What are we working with here? Yeah, just uh, complete nonsense speech. Him just, oh man, the 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 way his mind works is completely bizarre. Because every time he wants to talk about something, he ends up on a completely different topic that kind of circles back around to it. But you're not quite sure how it relates. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, can... I guess it relates in his mind. Well, it's like. <laughs> Well, it's like how I described it in the chat is that he seems to speak exclusively in onion on the belt stories. Yeah, they're very labored and they're just weird. Like they, they don't seem to relate to anything. <laughs> so Frank or Michael Ironside's character very astutely says, look, just because you're bored with your life doesn't mean you got to go off and get yourself killed. Uh, and I'm not going to finance it for you. You can, you you pay me the ten million dollars. That's my standard rate. I'll I'll provide arms for your attack, sure. But I'm not going to give it to you for old times' sake. You insane? Yeah. yeah. <sighs> so everybody else stays together. They have a tiny home on the Hudson. <laughs> They've just got a flop house on the Hudson River. <laughs> yep. Uh, when it cuts to them, Gil is just sleeping under a pizza box like he's a fucking hobo. <laughs> yeah, like using the pizza box as a blanket. Because they all got drunk. They just passed yeah. out wherever. So they decide we're going to do an Omar's crew type thing. We're going to knock over some crack houses to get the $10 million. <laughs> Great idea, guys. You're just going to... Brilliant. My favorite character in the movie, Luis Guzman, as uh, Papo the dealer. <laughs> I love this guy. He's so great. Because this scene, I, it, for the first time I was watching it, I was like, they're executing the shit out of all these drug dealers. And it's like, I don't know how I yeah. feel about this. This is definitely war on drugs type shit that makes me a little uncomfortable. But then it, it does lampshade it. Yeah, like Guzman calls him out on it. It's like, yo, shit, what the hell? If it was money, just fucking take the money, man. You killed so many guys. What the fuck? Yeah, shit, man, take the money. You sure killed a lot of people for a little money. <laughs> like, uh, and, like and, and it's obviously this super elevated action, too, because like they bust yeah. in the door, they shotgun a dude, he goes through a window, drops four floors, lands on a pimp mobile, and it explodes. Like, yeah, that's kind of shit we're like, dealing with. 
rap music is playing in the background. Yeah. Of course, they've got a rap song playing and then, you know, Christopher Walken gets into the room and he turns it off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and I, I appreciate Guzman. He kind of pushes back on both the racism and the classism of it because one of them says, oh, you people deserve it. He's like, you people. And he goes through all of the complaints like, oh, yeah, you know, we're drug dealers, you're dealing eight year olds who and it's like, you see any fucking eight year olds down there? <laughs> all I see is a bunch of assholes from New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, man, what are these guys supposed to do? Get a three dollar an hour job at Burger King? I pay my people good money, man. I'm yeah. keeping America alive. Yeah, I pay my people $20 an hour. You know, the, they're not, they can't support a family working in the real system. I mean, you're going after the wrong guys. You should go after fucking John Gambotti, which, by the way, John Gambotti, <laughs> I mean, they're obviously John... talking John Gotti. Like, again, that why are they was... just using real people? <laughs> <laughs> John G- Yeah. <laughs> 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 and uh, also guzman is a vietnam vet as well just like them because it makes oh, I... like hey where'd you get that jack and he's like the same place you did motherfucker <laughs> oh that's what was meant by that i didn't yeah. know that yeah he's another vietnam vet so they realize like yeah we're just persecuting people who have the same life as us <laughs> we're, we we can't continue to do this and his thing like go after john gumbody and like all i got is the table drippings <laughs> but i appreciate that they're like shit he's right <laughs> let's go after yeah. that guy let's go after the crime boss yeah basically <laughs> smash cut to them gone after him <laughs> yeah he's at new york's oldest steakhouse like a, a huge neon sign that says new york's oldest which yeah <laughs> this is where a mafia guy would be mm-hmm. and they Gum- go fucking Gum's hard like overtly talking about ah yeah i'm doing crime business i mean he is obviously just a cartoon mobster he should just be fat tony (laughs) he might as well be (laughs) they they come at him with a garbage truck and they crush his limo instantly like they hit the limo and it crushes in between two vehicles like can (laughs) and they just take him and it, it cuts to him hanging from a crane off of a building, be like a skyscraper under development. Yeah, he's just like, Jesus Christ. It's kind of nuts. And <laughs> I, I love that McBain pretends to be Mossad. He puts on this absurd European accent. <laughs> do you remember what happened in Munich? I had nothing to do with Munich, man. If you did, you would be dead. He's like, oh, no, we're totally cool with Jews. And he's like, this is our annual fundraising drive, which, come on. <laughs> come on. Yeah. <laughs> Just give us $10 million. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they request $10 million. He's like, all right, fine. Uh, <laughs> and he also says, like, by the way, your brother-in-law is screwing you. He's like, I know it. He's like, how did you know that shit about his brother-in-law? I'm like, eh, everybody's brother-in-law is screwing him. <laughs> I just got this guy killed. <laughs> Some random yeah. dude they don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> so next they're like, all right, we got to go to Jamaica and blow up an airport. And they go to Jamaica and blow up an airport. It takes like 10 seconds. 10 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> like, again, so elevated. Like, well, let's go. We got to head to uh, Jamaica and blow up an airport. And it cuts to them loading a bazooka and blowing up the tower at an airport. I'm like, what are, what, 
hold on, hold on. What did those people do? They they're people who work in an air traffic control men, man. God damn, drug dealers. <laughs> Bazooka. Man, yeah, they uh, for good guys, they don't care about civilian casualties. <laughs> Peak but they action. Didn't in the eighties. <laughs> they didn't. They truly did not. So Christina goes back to uh columbia to start rallying the rebels because they have to take the airfield to prepare for the arrival of mcbain and mcbain's seven <laughs> oh yeah i guess this is a magnificent seven ripoff it never even occurred to me but this is a magnificent seven huh. is there seven guys though uh let me think so there's walken who's mcbain yep there's uh, frank bruce ironside Eastland. Yeah, okay, Ironside, Eastland. Gill. Um, Gill. Yeah, uh, uh, Dalton. Dalton is, is, so is the... five. That's five. I guess Christina, Christina and Mad Dog 2? And and there's Santos, technically, but are, are, what about that? There's that one pilot who joins them. Yeah, who's Mad like, Dog 2. Oh, he's Mad Dog? Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I guess whatever his real name is, I don't think we learn it. I think I have it somewhere here when when he shows up. So Ironside shows up. He's like, "All right, can I come with you guys after all?" Eh, I I was I I was kind of down on this, but this looks like fun. Let me come along. And they're like, <laughs> "Yeah, man, come along. That'll be great." <laughs> and it's good cuz he's the professor from uh, seven right? basically yes. he has he has the same device he has the overpowered suitcase satellite device that can call in airstrikes or get a hold of anybody yep <laughs> so it's a good thing they have him mm-hmm. uh so dalton leaves to go fly the plane they stole uh which... I love his thing that he always has to read the directions for everything. Yeah, because he hasn't flown since Nam. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't flown since the first time we saw him at the beginning of the movie. He's like, oh, yeah, I'd say it's been about 18 years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we are exactly at the halfway point of the movie, and now it's action time. The whole rest of the movie is the final battle. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, there's like. They go hard. Yeah, there's. I think there's only like one scene where we cut to El Presidente and the drug lord talking, and then back to action. Yeah, it's pretty much nonstop from this point forward, which is, if anything, the the strongest uh, uh, recommendation for this movie. And true, uh, how much this movie failed is sad. Because so this movie had a budget of sixteen million dollars. Guess how much it made at the box office? I'm gonna say. I'm terrible at guessing these, but I'm, I'm going to say it didn't make its money back. It definitely did not make its money back. Blue Sky, give, give me a guess. All right, all right. Four million. Four hundred and fifty thousand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it That's didn't even make a million. So unfortunate. Huge bomb. Uh, which oh. is a dread because it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I didn't know movies could bomb that bad. Oh, it bombed real bad. I mean, I've I've heard of bigger bombs, but <laughs> oof. Uh, that's that's a big one. It's a real big one. So uh, the rebels assault the drug factory at the end of the airport because they're they're right together. There's a drug factory uh, next to the airport that they can explode. 
I'm at the combination drug factory and airport. <laughs> yeah. They take it on with a bunch of flaming arrows and AK-47s. It's pretty rad. Total mayhem. Because like oh, yeah. just none explosions. Of the, yeah, because none of these characters have names or dialogue, so you just send them into the maw of the fucking machine. You can kill whoever you want. It don't matter. Yeah, none of these characters have names. It's just mayhem. You see so much fucking explosions and action and people dying. And then our guys are in the plane and they pick up on the radar three f5s are tailing them and this is where ironside pulls out the satellite phone computer thing that it's like ah, i can deal with this <laughs> come on the technical mcguffin box right so one of the colombian air force uh guys when the f5s show up to them and they pretend that they have radio troubles so they can't answer the radio and they're like can you come closer <laughs> oh yeah that's right i love this part <laughs> This is one of the more uh, commonly seen bits of this movie. I think this is a clip that's pretty widely shared of <laughs> McBain pulling out a pistol and shooting through the window into the cockpit and just shooting the pilot of the other plane in the head. And it goes down. <laughs> you lose cabin pressure, but who can- we, we're not worrying about that. I, I think they're kind of low. They're going really oh, low they're, to avoid they're below radar. radar. Yeah. yeah. And they're in like a small prop plane that kind of maybe has a bit of an open, like it, it's going to lose cabin pressure in the F5, but it goes well, down. Yeah, like I get shot down. in the fucking head. It, it's cool. Just I've never <laughs> seen that before. Someone shooting a pistol to get a pilot in the head in the cockpit of a plane. No, I, I don't think I've seen that either. I wasn't expecting it. So they contact the other guy. It's Daly is his name. Okay. Uh, Daly. Uh, he's the scout for Ironside's uh, <laughs> jumbo jet full of guns that they're <laughs> planning to land in Colombia. Yeah. Uh, so he gets him to go get go after the other two. And there's this crazy aerial battle sequence where he dodges two heat-seeking missiles. Oh, yeah. Like, just by flying straight up. Yeah. Well, he, he does a whole bunch cool. of things. He He has to... Uh, dodge them a couple times then finally he goes up until the engines give out and they explode and he gets it back on and then everything's like all right that's it for you bozos <laughs> and then immediately <laughs> blows up the other two mm-hmm. <laughs> uh there is an incredible heroic sacrifice of a nameless revolutionary where he grabs a grenade and he runs up and jumps on a tank and stuffs his arm down the tank barrel with the grenade and explodes and they have like a very well designed dummy with an arm down a tank barrel hanging out of a tank oh exploding yeah and like burning on fire nuts it, like, so christina cool. goes yeah no it's like a character guy. that she knows but we don't <laughs> uh so the scout plane blows up the fuel dump and the drug factory and the rebels take the whole airfield and then the last two f5s are incoming so they're like oh shit we better set up these stinger missiles from the plane they grab the (laughs) the manuals and like all right point this way but they can't get them to start (laughs) they Uh, didn't turn it on well they they didn't turn off the jamming signal because the 
uh, Daly's plane has a jamming signal. That oh, that's were... what it is. Yeah, it was so the other planes couldn't contact the rest of the Air Force or contact oh, okay. the airfield or anything or use any of their weapons. Right. So it, it this jamming signal had was blocking out the weapon, so he has to go rush and try and turn that off, and then he's playing with that, and then the two incoming F-5s shoot a missile, and he has to dive out of the plane and run, and it explodes... And then, oh yeah, <laughs> once it explodes, the jamming signal stops, and they're able to. And then they can get the the thing. Yeah, the, the, I the... didn't realize that yeah. him exploding the plane was for any reason other than coolness. Yeah, so the Stinger missiles finally work, and they take out both the F fives. Last second, obviously. Uh, of course, you can't you can't not do it last second unless you're James Bond. You can have zero point zero seconds left. Then it's okay. Was 0.07. That's what I meant to say, yes. Yeah. So word of the attack finally gets back to the president in the US. And he's like, that's not good. I don't know what to do about this. Is there anything we should do here? And yeah. <laughs> El Presidente, Bojorquez, is threatening to take over the embassy because of this attack. Because he blames it on the American government right. but even though they really don't have anything to do really with it. didn't do this one yeah. this one isn't on them yeah so escobar shows up to meet with el presidente this is our first time simon escobar instead of pablo <laughs> yeah yeah and he's got a tall super strong german guy with greasy ass hair so you know he's gonna fight have to fight mcbain at the end right and obviously his name is Hans. And he's just <laughs> of course like it is. The Euro trash villain who's in every one of these movies. He's the villain <laughs> in every Die Hard movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the uh, the president has the head factory guard from the beginning. Like, I, I don't know how he's already gotten this guy here, but he's torturing the the head of the factory with a bat. He's just like beating yeah. him with a bat to get information. I don't know what information he's trying to get either. Just trying to figure out what's going on with the rebels. I, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, it's he just knows so he could be the rebels responsible, guy. right? Yeah. Well, they seem to think it's the Americans. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, but and Escobar is basically like, dude, you're just fucking wasting time, right? Right. And the the, the Euro guy Hans, he's like, ignorance is not a crime. Failure is. And he like pulls like the guy is tied to a A ceiling ceiling fan fan. and they pull the ceiling fan out of the roof and then he throws the ceiling fan out the window and the guy goes with it. (laughs) That is about the only thing that Hans is going to do in this film, though. It's strange. It seemed like he was going to be one of those dudes. It seems like he should be like the second in command on a diehard villains crew. I fully expected him, like, just after everything was done, I expected him to make a Bond villain come, or a, a Bond henchman come back, sorry. Right, like, I guess he doesn't even die, he just gets arrested. <laughs> yeah, he just... That's weird. <laughs> that is a strange ending, especially for this movie. I, I do say, like, my, my two biggest complaints of the movie, as I said earlier, obviously, those songs, the freedom music. Mm-hmm. Uh, that and that both Escobar and Hans do not get exploded at the end. It's crazy that they don't. Yeah, like you'd think <laughs> they would. I, I mean, all these movies just end with somebody with a plane just dropping a special bomb right onto the guy. Like, uh, yeah. what, is, 
hot shots with Saddam Hussein. Oh, completely. And it's also weird that I mean, the the president, uh, El Presidente. I mean, obviously, he's the one who actually killed Santos at the beginning, yeah. but he's not the main bad guy because it's very explicit right here that he's in the he's under the thumb of Escobar. Like Escobar is telling him what to do. Yeah, so it's true. He's not even the, the main baddie. I love the bit though, like where where he's like, "You can't tell me what to do. I am El Presidente," and Escobar's like. Hmm. The last president said that to me too. Yeah. I sent him flowers every day. Yeah. In the cemetery. Because he's dead. Yeah. Because I killed him. What I'm implying. (laughs) So the uh, El Presidente is like, I'm gonna retaliate, I'm gonna take over the embassy. And he's like, look, that's not a good idea. You're just gonna give the Americans a reason to come in here. Uh, Yeah. if, if if this is them, they're already here. If you're going to take over the thing, they're just going to come in in full force and, and take over this whole place. That is a stupid idea. You don't understand. Americans are the most powerless, powerful people in the world. <laughs> Until you give them a reason. And only an idiot would do that. No, and that's when uh, uh, El Presidente has this whole thing about how he's going to do stuff. And he's like, listen. You know, the old president tried to tell me what to do and etc. Yeah, and he just like just really draws out the metaphor. <laughs> yeah. He's like, listen, we'll just brutally retaliate against the peasants to put down the revolt, and we'll just resolve it that way. We don't need to involve Americans. Oh, I guess that is something Hans does. He brutally retaliates against the per- the peasants. Yeah, they do a helicopter assault on the tiny rural village that Santos and Christina were from. So they massacre that village. Yeah. Uh, and, and then now our- Hans is done doing stuff. Yeah, he's completely done. Our guys arrive at the village. Dalton stays to help the wounded for a bit. Yeah. There's a whole thing where he... he He's uh, in his American surgeon thing. Like, it's much too dirty here. I couldn't possibly perform a surgery. You know, they'll die of infection immediately. I'm like, look, you did tons of these when you were in Vietnam. Just do the same shit that you did back then. You know, uh, the worst that can happen is they're going to die because they're going to die if you don't do it. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh, So Ironside, there's a bit where they're at a bar and they see some soldiers beat up an old man for saying fuck el presidente <laughs> yeah <laughs> and ironside just put some plastique on the jeep and they go around a corner would you see a huge explosion it's like it's, fucking I mushroom thought... cloud <laughs> <laughs> just fucking killed those guys man i thought they were putting a tracking device on the jeep i thought it was a plan but no nope. just Kaboom. retaliatory explosion he's like hey fuck you for punching that guy Yep. <laughs> so Dalton, Eastland, and Christina, they go on a side mission because they have to take over the TV station and get broadcast out to the people. Oh, yeah. Forgot every- about that, actually. Yeah. Everybody else heads to the big fuel depot. Uh, and McBain and Daly, Daly being the pilot who joins them, who is with, uh, like, he he's part of the 101st Airborne or something, or his yeah, dad yeah. was. His yeah. dad was, and yeah. that's how Walken convinces him. It's like, oh, we could sure use some help from the 101st. This guy feels like he should be playing an American president in the movie, Daly. He feels like the oh. 
the the American yeah. uh, president with integrity in one of these movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the two of but, them break you know, it. The, yeah, he, you know he's just going to end up sacrificing his life. Of course, because he's the only one who has shown up later and isn't a main character. <laughs> <laughs> but they're planning, they steal a fuel truck and they're going to use it as an exploding battering ram uh, on the palace gates. Yeah, that's... Um, Not bad. That's, that's a pretty decent plan. <laughs> uh, real scary, though, because you got to make sure the truck manages to not explode before prematurely right it's full of fuel it's very explosive Mm -hmm. there's lots of guys with automatic weapons there i Uh, mean it's a giant red barrel and like red barrels are the most explosive thing it's you know video games have told us Mm -hmm. so christine gets on the tv station she broadcasts basically the same speech that she gave mcbain about the coca leaves and the uh, the cartels taking over the country and all of that is like she's calling for a mass revolution and strike for all of the people in the whole country. And like we can do this. We've we've taken an airfield. We have a we have our own military that's heading for the palace. Uh, just head to Bogota. We're taking down the power grid and uh, power plant workers themselves decide to help and they take out the power grid to allow them to do the attack. Mm-hmm. So Chris Daly sacrifices himself. He suicide bombs the palace gates because they're not. He has to make sure that they aim the truck <laughs> just right. He's not going to jump out. Yeah. He, no, you got to jump out. I can't jump out. I got to do this. Kaboom. And of rub- course. <laughs> no. No. Mendoza. <laughs> Santos. Daly. <laughs> The guy who stuck his hand in the tank. Yeah. So uh, the rebel assault goes through the, the gates. They It's personally led by McBain. He is the guy at the forefront of the whole thing. He is the main guy leading the rebel assault, <laughs> taking over the <laughs> Colombian palace. Uh, I love the one guy on the, like, the roof turret. The roof turret who's like so moved by the revolutionary spirit of everybody (laughs) (laughs) that he's like i'm not gonna shoot them and the other guy's like you have to shoot them and he's like no man i'll shoot you right he he shoots the other guy and they you know dissension in the ranks everything's falling apart and finally we cut back to see what's going on in america the the american (laughs) president is is about to go on on america (laughs) he's about to do a press uh 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 press release press conference press conference like yeah. yeah he's about to do a press conference <laughs> he's he's got a really <laughs> big dramatic announcement and it's, this is huge it's funny how dramatic it is and like it's what we've all been waiting for i'm so <laughs> proud to announce new red white and blue money <laughs> you'll be able to exchange it at an equal rate at banks for a limited period of time. It's like, what? <laughs> what does this have to do with anything? I thought he was going to give a press conference about Colombia. It this comes out of nowhere. It's so funny. Like, uh, what? <laughs> that's the last we see of him. That was That's the end of him in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and Escobar is just like, well. Good thing it's all in a Swiss bank account, whatever. Yeah, it was like, let's, let's, let's go. go. And they head for the airport and they're captured by rebels. So we just see them get captured. They get arrested. They should have got blown up. They could have got they blown up got at the blown airport. Up. Yeah. Someone should have been waiting with a bazooka. <laughs> they didn't need to get arrested. 
Yeah, no, like, let him get on the plane and then pull out the bazooka. Yeah, those are my, my two chief complaints with the movie. The the songs and that those two don't get blown up. Those yeah, are, they, change those two things, this movie goes up to four stars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is... Oh, what did I give it? Maybe, I think I gave it a three. I gave it a seven, you know, 3.5, seven out of 10. Three. It would be an I, I eight, maybe even a yeah. nine with those two things fixed. <laughs> Maybe I'd have to see what it looks like. Yeah, yeah. So McBain, uh, he he seems to be going up an event, and then he just drops through the ceiling and <laughs> blows away the president of Columbia with an Uzi. This is the most McBain <laughs> shit, like the Simpsons McBain. This moment is just straight out of a McBain episode in The Simpsons. This, yeah, this is. This is an Arnold move. This is not a walk-in move. But... Like, he uses an automatic weapon to shoot a <laughs> hole in the floor, and he just drops through the ceiling, guns blazing, and blows away the president. Of the course, president. while the president is smoking a cigar, because that's how you have to well, yeah, yeah. But I mean, the president <laughs> of a real country. Yeah, of a real, <laughs> of a real actual country. <laughs> drops through a ceiling, kills him with a newsie. And, of course, he takes the half bill... Puts it in the guy's shirt. Like, all right, payment in full. Then he takes the cigar and he's about to smoke it, but he doesn't. He goes out on the balcony and everybody cheers. He throws <laughs> the president's hat to the crowd. <laughs> and and Dalton I shows guess up. Columbia's fine now. Well, Dalton shows up. He brings in yeah. Eastland and Christina by prop plane. Uh uh, there, there's incoming helicopters, and they're worried for a moment that they're still going to have an attack to repel. But then they, they stand don't. down, and it's like, okay, no, I guess it's over. It's fine. And from across the the crowd, McBain is on the balcony, and Christina's down in the crowd, and he gives her a crisp nod. <laughs> and that's it. That is the entirety of the romance. Like nod. Yep, we're good. <laughs> this is a song for freedom. This is a song about peace. This is a song that's against hate. Yeah, uh, that's like <laughs> the, this is what I was saying about the romance. Just nod. Yep. <laughs> uh, respectful nod. <laughs> we we believe in each other's uh, uh, sanctity. Uh, yeah, it's it's a very strange ending it's a weird romance such as it is like it does seem like they're going to set it up why would she be the sister instead of the wife if yeah. she's not supposed to have her have a romance with McBain and I think she is but it never happens it doesn't exist in the movie no no like there's a couple scenes that feel like okay this is like the very early parts of setting it up but they don't follow through yeah no interest in doing that nah like the two of them <laughs> on the boat in front of the statue of liberty <laughs> right <laughs> yeah like she stands up with the statue of liberty in the background mm -hmm. america is a country where you where you have free choices and all that right a lot of speeches in this movie. This is a big speech movie. People making speeches and talking about the state of America. Uh, <laughs> the first half, anyway. The first half Everyone is all just kind of shuts the fuck up. Well, yeah. First half does big violence in the yeah. second half. First half speeches about the state of America and the state of Columbia, and then second half explosions. Nothing else. Explosions <laughs> and gunfire. Yeah. Uh, it rules. I really like this movie. I, I admit there are clear problems in it. <laughs> It's a little it's uneven. Fun. It's so much fun. 
it did not deserve to colossally flop the way it did, just like Stone Cold, both of them 1991. They might have even came out at exactly the same time. Let me see. McBain, September 20th, 1991. Okay. Uh, Stone Cold. Oh, it was May. May 17th, 91. Stone Cold did way better. Stone Weird. Cold made $9 million on a $25 million budget. Still a huge flop. <laughs> yeah, and it's just weird because uh, McBain's, I think it's got the better cast. Yeah, or or the or the more known cast, I should say. And certainly at this point in time, you got Walken, Maria Conchita Alonso, Michael Ironside. They're all fairly well known, and hmm. you know James Glickenhouse is a more well known director than. Craig R. Baxley, I think, is the guy who did Stone Cold. He's really only no known idea. for Action Jackson. Uh, just another. Oh, that was him too. Yeah, Action Jackson is. Oh uh, shit, Craig R. Baxley, I believe. Uh, here, okay. let, me, let me pull it up again. Uh, Craig R. Baxley, he did. Uh, yeah, Action Jackson was his first movie, and also I Come in Peace, which is a pretty fun movie. Uh, and then mostly he did TV stuff later on. He did like that, those Stephen King ones, like Storm of the Century and Rose Red, Ellen Rimbauer, oh, okay. Kingdom Hospital, whole bunch of shit. I saw all of those back in the day. Anyway, that's way of the point. Stone Cold, <laughs> what a great, great, what a crazy fucking movie. What, what an interesting uh, artifact of the 90s. So I, I this actually kind of ends the same way that Stone Cold does and mm -hmm. that. Uh, the government of a major – well, a major power, in that case Mississippi, in this case Colombia, is dethroned and no plan exists to uh, transition to any other form of government. Yeah, there's no real plan but to move forward. It's a good thing. Yeah, this time it's good. This time they they <laughs> toppled the cartels, I guess. Yeah, I uh, guess. Some white savior, uh, just this random American. Oh my American. god, it's a white savior movie too. <laughs> it's it's a bit of a white is. savior movie. Uh, yeah, a really insane thing, but fun. I, it's it's yeah. crazy that none of the Vietnam guys get killed off. Uh, not a single one of them is killed. Just the one guy who joins nope, just, them. Uh, just the pilot. Daily. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, um, good movie. I like it. Yeah, pretty fun. So do you have any last thoughts before we move on to part two? Well, you know, when I was in America, every day I wake up and I go to the same bar i do the same job and i do the same thing but you have a chance to do something different so why don't you just do a military operation with me without me giving you 10 million dollars i can't remember how the speech goes but it I, like I, I was there I, I was with you at the start i remembered the bit about going to the same bar every day uh, I, can't, I couldn't remember how it ended though well, I know that's where uh, Ironside tells him, like, just because you're bored with your life doesn't mean you need oh, to go get it. yourself killed, you moron. <laughs> I'm not going yeah, to give it. you $10 million for free. And make this fortune by giving it away. <laughs> All right, well, let's head on to part two. And we're back for part two, where we're talking about two additional features, both uh, from Eastern Europe, both uh, former Soviet countries, uh, and oh, yeah. first from Poland, Piotr Shulkin's Obi-Oba, The End of Civilization from 1985, uh, third in the 
uh, Apocalypse Tetralogy, uh, which we've covered both of the previous ones, Golem and uh, War of the Worlds Next Century. They uh, <laughs> Each of these movies seems to be just going progressively harder, uh, progressively more depressing, I think. Uh, further, uh, well, maybe. Further into the apocalypse. I would yeah. Say. Each one, it. it's, it's closer to the end of all things. I mean, this one brings us to the end of all things at the end. Yes, we uh, we see what uh, it's another one of those endings that could be up for interpretation. But I think we all just died. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that uh, it's the end of civilization. It's the end of humanity. Uh, They just did not plan things well enough and everybody fucking died. (laughs) Kind of like what's probably going to really happen. Yeah. Uh, Uh, So the, the next one. The fourth one, Gaga, Glory to the Heroes, which neither of us have watched quite yet, is uh, set in like a dystopian future where it's like a uh, like Star Trek. You know, it's a Federation future where everybody's explored the whole universe, but it's without the utopian energy of that where... It's it's all been explored and everybody's just kind of exploited the shit out of all of space and it's oh yeah they, they've it's it's the the exporting democracy exporting capitalism throughout the universe kind of movie oh so that's that one should be the... interesting <laughs> I don't want that I mean I, I do want to watch it but I oh, don't yeah. want that no but it's it's fascinating that each of these does move further in time towards an end but each one is bleaker than the last somehow because the first yeah. one as I recall we were both like great movie bleak hard uh, tough watch and then the next one's like Okay, this one gets a lot harder, and then this one's like, yeah, it's the fucking oh. end of all things. It's Rat City. Oh, fuck. Rat City for uh, humans. Yeah, so you, uh, last week, uh, and in between episodes, you had mentioned mm. to me, uh, you had asked me to read, or mentioned that this was based on, what was it, like the Rat Park experiments? Rat Park, yeah. Uh, I, I don't yeah. know if it explicitly was, it just, there are parallels Similarities, that seem... Yeah explicitly intended because i mean it was a very famous study at the time and each of these movies does pull from existing sources and sort of puts a very bleak sci-fi spin on each of them that's painfully realistic mm-hmm. uh, you know with war of the worlds last time where it's the war of the worlds concept but it's in the present day like it's the 90s and also, they're just Nazis, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's, they were using the aliens as an excuse to become Nazis. Yeah, exactly. And this one, it's kind of continue. Like it, it again is based on real world conflicts, and it's the Boer War that they keep referring to, which is a war that did happen, but it's not a war that you know kept going until the end of humanity. Yeah, I uh, feel like uh, the uh, it ended before World War One. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say we weren't really worried about nuclear devastation at that time. Uh, it wasn't exactly um, uh, what was it? The, I want to say the Cuban Missile Crisis. Right. Yeah, that's that's when that really becomes a thing. But yeah, I, I would say that this is sort of an alternate alternate history type thing where the Boer War never ended. 
which I've actually seen in other formats. I think there's a series of novels I've read based on that, uh, where they're sort of this, this alternate universe history where they can go into books and become a character in them. Okay. And, like someone develops a machine and they like go into, I want to say Wuthering Heights and kidnap one of the characters. No, Jane Eyre. Cause it's the air <laughs> affair. Oh and I, gosh. <laughs> and I, I believe the concept of those is as well, just a, a, a world where the Boer war just kept going and going and going instead of ever ending. Well, shoot. Now I wish I had read up on the Boer war because I <laughs> don't know anything about it other than the name. So the Boer war is a South Africa thing. Oh, uh, that makes sense. And it's it's involved with the English, and of course, it's the Boers, so it's the Danish, the Dutch. I think it's the Dutch. I cannot. I'm. Uh, I, I'm not like I've never I read yeah. deep into the the Boer War. I know more about like the early stages of uh, colonialism in Africa, and not so much uh, latter day conflicts. But it's basically you know central to modern south africa or you know early 20th century south africa right right so that that is the concept here it's just the boer war kept going and spread and it just never ended and then uh, nuclear power someone used the nuclear bomb and uh, these are the last people yeah they're just (laughs) in this they're they're in the fallout vault yes (laughs) they they uh, have a fallout (laughs) vault and it is not working out no i mean and as anyone who has played the Fallout games know, those vaults tended to not work out either, but at least in some of those, people made it to the end. Yeah, this one was, like, it, it has a built-in failure. Like, it, yeah, it, as we learn later on when we meet the head engineer, it's like, well, it was only built to last for a year. Yeah, you can't, you can't save it past that. It's not made for what we're doing here. Yeah, we didn't have the materials or the the time to do it. This was a rush job. <clears throat> like I and could go and stabilize it for a short period. We're just exacerbating the end, and I'm already done, guy. <laughs> I just want to lie here on the floor. Oh yeah. Oof. Um, so yeah, the whole entire movie takes place in this underground shelter. Yeah. Um, that is constant, constant blue light. Constant blue light. Uh, I. They, they've set up like these fluorescent blue lights everywhere. The idea, of course, was since it's completely dark, there's not going to be windows. The idea mm. was to get your vitamin, whatever, the sun one, the vitamin D. I believe I guess, so. I think but, that's right. They're supposed to be uh, nourishing in some way, but they're energy sapping. They're, they're, yeah. Uh, I mean, the they studies just, on just, blue light were not a big thing then yet, but I mean, we hear about it all the time now. Like blue light is the one that's like, yeah, that's the one you don't want to have before sleeping. It's really bad for your dreams or any kind of rest. Uh, I actually had to adjust the color and brightness settings on my TV in order to be able to watch this. It was it was giving me a migraine with all the like bright, bright blue light just oppressively beating down on everybody. And that also speaks to the Rat Park element that it it feels like these are a bunch of rats in an experiment that has to be lit all the time so they can constantly be watched. They're all 
milling about the dispenser that dispenses food tablets periodically just straight on the <laughs> fucking ground yeah just uh here's some bread hope you can catch and there's lots of little hidey holes like there are tunnels that they dig and you know you, everybody has some people have their own special little apartments uh yeah like the, but, the... okay so rat park concept because I, I as before we get into it i guess just yeah. as some background because i do think it's sort of key it was a i think it was a simon fraser university experiment somewhere in vancouver i think it was actually yeah you're right uh if you search on google you can find a pretty good comic like a a a brief comic description of a comic book that someone's done to uh go over how the the basics of the experiment but it was morphine in the water and they were testing tolerances of it when they would start using it. it it it's a report that was heavily misused in the war on drugs which sort of ties this back to our previous movie because it was used as a template for addiction scenarios and how that works mm-hmm. which About what... i don't know <laughs> dangerous dangerous concept to use and nobody's ever ever been able to reproduce the results of this apparently yeah so what ended up happening was uh they realized that rats were basically self-medicating on morphine. Uh, but the one guy theorized that that's because they were just locked up in these cages and isolated right. and bright lights. So he built this like park for them, like this playground and let them hang out together and socialize and stuff. And they found that the rats were not drinking as much of the morphine water and were just drinking regular water instead. But then they started to introduce they they slowly filtered out the regular water to make them use the others. And they sort of, it becomes this sort of tortured experiment where they're, they let them out into this new environment and gave them space. And then they introduce stressors to still make them medicate. Yeah. And um... <laughs> so obviously there's no element of drugs in this movie. What's the morphine? Uh, the morphine is the arc in my opinion okay but so then uh, the drugs are religion <laughs> right? well, I, I just yeah, want to kind of. underline that at the point because that's really key is that the the opiate that they're feeding the masses is religion uh pretty explicitly and i think that's sort of the the main rat park element that i that is key to know going in that you know they they are using the this concept of the ark and his attempts to uh he'll he'll be searching for a bible later so that yeah. he can kind of talk more about the original ark the noah's ark yeah the the original plan was they couldn't get anyone to go into this shelter so they're like okay hey um it's just until the ark comes but there is no ark right and he was like one of the main guys behind this uh, uh yeah our main guy soft yeah soft he was uh he was one of the main proselytizers of that he was like uh an apostle of the ark yeah yeah um he even like he even mentions later on he did all this stuff to make him look spiritual um cult leader tricks actually exactly and and the idea is to sort of get them in there through sort of a cult environment but 
the other element beyond the lights is there are loudspeakers that endlessly drone on and on that the arc doesn't exist and that this is all there is and it's a very the, depressing the existence. The arc does not exist. Help will never arrive. Yeah. Don't believe rumors and suspicions. Your today and tomorrow depend only on you. Again and again and over again. Over and over. We hear this droning the entire movie. Yeah, like it's in the background even when nobody's listening to it. It's like there. The, the only sequences that we don't hear it is when we're off in like far off uh, people's apartments. Like there's the rich people's kind of hideaway points. Mm-hmm. But otherwise you hear it endlessly in the movie and it's exhausting. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. And it, it kind of feels like they're doing an experiment just to make people feel worse. But like the guys in charge don't our main guy, I guess his job is to try to try to keep order by just making everybody happy by telling them whatever they have to eat. Yeah. I mean, again, the morphine in the water, they're they're trying to medicate them. So they just uh, stay milling about because there's nothing else for them to do. There's not a lot of space. (laughs) <laughs> no, I mean <laughs> everybody's packed in pretty close and they just walk in circles all day or lie yeah. on the floor. There's a lot of people who are just lying on the floor waiting to die. Like literally that. Yeah. There's a, an area devoted to that. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> so of course we begin with our narrative about how they dropped the bomb. Yeah. And uh and how he how they how he created this uh, fictional arc to get people to come into this dome. And now they did come into this dome and they've been here for a year and it fucking sucks. It's a drag and it's starting to fall apart. It is absolutely falling apart. Uh, They've realized Um, that one of the main structures that holds up the dome is about to fail and they need to get a hold of the engineer. Yep. So they, they go to our guy soft uh, because his job now i guess among other things is to you know get people to do what the government wants but the government just seems to be this kind of one guy who doesn't have anybody left i think it's the power structure of this society is really yeah i don't super clear i have no idea what's going on i it it feels the the power structure feels exactly like the power structure at the tv station in war of the world's next century uh, he he's the iron adam who is taking his uh taking his orders from his boss yeah but it's, it's it's a similar power relationship yeah although this one is really a case of the inmates running the asylum because the boss is fucked too well yeah he's nuts and of course there's also the librarian guy who just everybody hates that's the other issue that the boss wants him to deal with they've been putting flyers on his door <laughs> yeah they've been planting flyers on this librarian guy so he thinks that the boer war is still happening even now outside of the outside well, of the dome right and obviously soft knows who's doing it and he goes to talk to the guy and he's like yeah i'm doing it to give him a purpose because it's all he lives for because <laughs> i mean yeah. i hate the guy he sucks but it's at least it's bringing him alive i I, I need to keep the guy from committing suicide because nobody else will play chess with me. <laughs> right? Is, is it chess? Was it that's one? what it is, yeah. yes. And his <laughs> act and that guy's actual job uh, is to put glass, like plaster glass on the cracks 
Right. So, and then come back and check on it so that if the glass has fallen, then we know the cracks have gotten wider. Cracks gotten he's bigger. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, they're doing it. They're getting bigger all the time. He's <laughs> like, we don't need to do this. We know everything is crumbling around. This is just yeah. a pointless job so that I have a purpose. Yeah, it's busy work. We are creating purposes for people because no purposes exist. We've ended purpose. Yeah. Uh, the, the Things have ended. Everybody's just kind of waiting it out now. Yeah. Uh, but th- that guy's craft, right? Craft is uh, the idiot librarian, the annoying Kraft guy. Craft is the idiot librarian um, who gets the papers planted on him. Yeah. Uh, we see a contender for the worst bathroom in cinema. It's rough. It, uh, I mean, it like wouldn't the... be nice. No, who'd even, wouldn't. who'd clean it? Who'd care? Well, that's. That's the thing. Nobody <laughs> does. That is one of the problems is that nobody cares enough to clean the bathroom. And so it's dirty and people are getting sick and dying. Yeah. Morale is non-existent. Yeah. That's like, that's. Because <laughs> there's, there's no enrichment, obviously. There, there's just the lights, there's the droning and there's space to walk in circles. Uh, yeah. Not a lot of space. You're, you're all in pretty tight. Yeah, you're you're packed in, and the space that you do have to walk. Well, fortunately, there's this uh, tube that looks an awful lot like a mouse feeding tube. Yeah, quite uh, a bit like just a rat food dispenser that happens to be just shooting out loaves of bread. Well, they look like loaves of bread, but they're kind of they, just they look like they're they're kind <laughs> of just a a white chunk. Uh, they're they're like they're sort of a chalky substance. They're yeah. they're bread esque. They 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 resemble bread enough to keep people placated? Question mark. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's it's a very nasty bread like substance, and it's what you have to eat. There's nothing yeah, else. Well, there's well, a almost black market else. onion. Yeah, there, <laughs> black there's black market onions. Yeah, that one guy has some onions. Like you get the idea that there's clearly food available to people who know how to get it, but it's in very limited supply and it's running out. Yeah, like like he has to sell his silverware to a money counterfeiter in order to get like tins of beef and gravy and stuff, which he then just uses to do his job of trying right. to make the place function yeah they're what he uses like he uses food to motivate uh like yeah. you would rats yeah yeah he'll just like toss somebody a can and be like okay well are you gonna fix the dome now no actually i'm not yeah that guy's like i'm past food motivating me i'm lying down to die uh <laughs> <laughs> it's not working anymore uh we also have his girlfriend who I don't know if she is his girlfriend or if he thinks that she's his girlfriend, uh, but is... she, because she's a sex worker. Right. Uh, uh, she seems to like him because there's she has the thing about her wanting to uh, take him away and the, they're going to live in her. Like she, she's got her own special place that she wants him yeah. to come away and live with her. And, yeah, and he, he and she has the whole thing about the wire walking. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's because there, you have to learn how to walk on wires because with the arcs in space, there's not going to be gravity. So you just kind of. Right. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll get into it. <laughs> we'll but... get to that. But I, I should mention this is her character name is Gia. She was also 
the character Gia in War of the Worlds the next century, and she was the girl in Golem. I don't think her character was named Gia there, but she I could be. wasn't, I don't think. But same, she's in all three of them, and uh, like she's she's the same character name in this one and the last one. And it's a similar kind character. Kind of a similar character. Yeah, like very similar. Always wearing red. And I like again, she's a sex worker in both of them, and mm-hmm. she's sort of a conflicted figure who's ambiguous. I, I think in this one she's a little more clearly supposed to actually care about him, but you know, things don't work out in the end. Yeah. Nothing and, can work out at the end. No. Like she she doesn't even really necessarily need to do the sex work, it seems like. It's just it's the only thing she knows how to do and that she's good at. It's her purpose. And it yeah. gives other people something to do, and it yeah. keeps other people from despair. Yeah, I mean, she has that conversation with him. He's like, I mean, I don't need to do it, but what else am I going to do? Also, but, it keeps know, me pretty well kept. I have a nice place here. I have status. like, the nicest place. Well, she gets to hang out thing. in a bar all day, too. She's not in yeah. the milling about space. Yeah, yeah. Because she gets free uh, drinks, everything, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. And, like, wealthy people. Uh, the guy who she's... They, like they burst out of the room together at the beginning. He's the guy who makes the actual money. He's the millionaire. Yeah. Right. Oh no. The, <laughs> oh, the, the guy who makes the money. Right. Yeah. The no. guy who makes the money is the one who keeps who physically makes money. Yeah. He he's the one who keeps you know paying for her services. Right. So because uh, there is a guy who's a millionaire, and he was is... he he was the TV station. The, the head of the TV station War of the Worlds Next Century, too. So he's the Man, boss. Most I of these people imagine that it's the same character and this is just what happened to him. Yeah. They they do seem to be the same characters. They're very similar. They're clearly he's using his established uh group of actors and kind of working them into similar types in just a new mm-hmm. situation. Effectively. Like, uh... Yeah, like like the leader of this thing is actually Pernot from Gollum, who just cannot handle the mantle, mantle yeah. of leadership at all. <laughs> He's uh, crumbling. He is. Uh, like when we see him at the end... Uh, he's trying to give orders to Soft, but he's like curled up in a ball, crying and throwing up. <laughs> yeah, it's not working. So yeah, he, he finds out who's planting leaflets on craft, and he's like, hey, Keep doing it because you know this guy needs a purpose because we don't want yet another yeah we don't want to, zombie. But... We don't want him to commit suicide because that's what he'll do. And also, I mean, the guy's saying, "Yeah, I'm going to keep doing it because I want him to keep playing chess with me. It's the only thing that keeps yeah. him going. He's he's alive now. I I wasn't doing it, and he was starting to fucking curl up into a ball and die. Yeah. And now he's alive. But... Have you seen him? <laughs> I mean, I but hate do... him. He sucks. He's so he's such a fucking asshole. But yeah, who else am I going to play chess with, right? Yeah, yeah. Soft is like, okay, fine, sure, but do it smart yeah. though. Like, be more make subtle. It, make it sound like the Boers have his wife and that she's just sleeping with all of them now, and then he won't show the pamphlet to anyone else. Yeah, so it's just it's for not... him. You got to humiliate it's not... him. It's the problem isn't that he has the pamphlet; it's that he's showing the pamphlets. I guess exactly. Yeah, well, it's, it's which that is he's, a huge problem. Well, it's because it's coming back to the boss. Yes, <laughs> he's like, oh, people are causing mischief, and he's like, you're making trouble for me. I, I don't, I, I don't have any disagreement with what you're doing. Just do it in a different way. He's like, okay, he's okay smarter okay. about it. Yeah, I, I know how to do this. Th- this is my whole job. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. People don't really have like established jobs either. Even our main character, everybody like knows who he is and knows like kind of what he's about. He's the guy who keeps shit running. It's just he doesn't have an official title in doing it. He's just the guy who makes things work behind the scenes. He's like the Nucky yeah. Thompson of the Fallout yeah. Shelter. But he still has to pay for everything just like everyone else does. Yeah, because nobody has any There's... respect for him. <laughs> no, Nucky Thompson has all the money, but he doesn't have to pay for shit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, he's just uh, the guy who runs things. It's interesting. He is... Like in terms of Fallout, he's like the main character in a Fallout game. He's the guy who's yes. actually doing everything. It's just, you know. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. He's the run one who's running around doing the NPC quests. Yeah, exactly. No one else fucking will. Yeah. And he just doesn't know that at the end of the game there's sort of a built-in uh fail, so there's only a bad ending. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I love the bit where like he he buys an illegal onion and brings it back to his room but like another one of his bosses comes in and he's just sniffing around for it yeah that whole scene where he's just like thrilled sniffing all over the room and he finally just like just fucking take it and he, he's like slicing and just eating raw onion just in bliss yep and like like rubbing the juice into their eyes uh, I've noticed some people he was doing that like soft was mm -hmm. which uh at first, I was like, what the hell? And then I was like, when was the last time this guy felt an emotion? Yeah. I bet he needed that. And just just wake people up, too. Uh, any kind of experience is some form of experience. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, there's just nothing here. <laughs> but yeah, so this old man tells Soft, it's like, hey, get this engineer on board. Uh, promise him that he'll have ice cream and onions on the Ark. Yeah, just promise him anything, but he's the only person who can save the world. He's like, all right, I mean, I'll track him down. I don't know if I can promise him that stuff because I can't really tell a lie. <laughs> well, I mean, he's been it. doing it before. He's he's uh, done it, but he's sort of bad at it. It's weird. It's clearly I, a thing that he has a history of doing, but he's come to a point where he's just no longer able to. I, I think it's because he's like, he, he's i think he's just done with it like he sees that these lies aren't really helping well i think uh, part of it is just especially the arc lie and that he's sitting here in the consequences of that lie every day yeah like he's watching the effect of that lie that's his whole thing mm -hmm. and uh he, he's not going to be able to convince the engineer anything is going to happen on the arc for him yeah, no, the engineer because the engineer knows what's up. Yeah, the engineer built this place and he knows exactly how things are going. Uh he's like, no, this is uh not gonna like I, I can't fix things. I, I know this yeah. is how this is how things things end. This is the end of it. Yeah, yeah. It's only meant to last a year. Uh I can't make it last longer than that. It's done. It's done. We're all done. And he's like, Well, don't you understand that? everyone's gonna die if you don't do this and he's like yeah but whatever yeah he's like yeah but the thing is i'm lying down here and i'm i'm good with just lying down until i die uh if you could just it would be great if you could do something so they can't identify my body or like i would like <laughs> to just stay here so if you could like 
make it that uh, they don't take my body away after, and so I could just lay here for good. Well, that would be ideal. Part <laughs> of the problem is they don't take anybody's body away from the death corridor. Yeah, what was it? I, I can't remember what his stipulation was, that he wanted his body to be taken somewhere, or that he... No, he just didn't want a sticker to go on his body. He didn't they want got the sticker, the... right. Because, yeah, we're not quite there yet. He has two meetings with the engineer, yeah. and this is the one where he's still sitting. He just doesn't want the death tag. Uh, yeah. I, I, I want to note, the sadly, uh, the actor who played the engineer passed from COVID last year. Oh, and unfortunately, one of that the sucks. Uh, but yeah, uh, the engineer just—it's like, look, uh, it's all over. You're just you're waiting I'm for the end give, now. I'm I've giving given up. up on life. And just... the guy goes back to his boss. He's like, "Well, he's not going to do anything." I'm like, "Did you? Well, what promises did you make?" I'm like, "Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah." He's like, "Well, you know, like the guy said." He says this is kind of consistent with the beliefs. Yeah. Uh, So it's like, well, the arc thing, though. (laughs) Like, we aren't using this well enough to motivate people. We need to come up with a way to do it. And he's like, okay, well, what's your plan? He's like, I I don't have one yet. I'm just saying this is what we have to do. Maybe we make some sort of arc. Make, Make like one here. He's like, ah, yeah, just... no, man. Does does that seem like something that's viable? He's like, maybe I could, uh, I could, if I could get a hold of a Bible, I could look up some information on this ark and how, how it's built. How many cubits yeah. you need? Yeah, oh, God, you got to know the cubits. Got to know the cubits. Oh, well, some guy figured it out. Uh, this is our producer guy from the previous movie. Yeah. Who is uh, Gia's landlord. Uh, yeah, he's she's he's the millionaire. He's the millionaire. Yeah. She's got an apartment in his place, which is built like like he spent a shitload of money to get all this wood to build an ark underground in this bunker, like like the Noah's Ark. Right, and it, it's just like a wooden hangout spot. It, it's kind of a cool space. It is actually kind of a cool space compared to everything else we've seen so far. It's it's very visually refreshing after you spent so much time in the very punishing blue light of the rest of it. Yeah. Uh, his wife his wife looks like Liza Minnelli's character from Arrested Development. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's similarly it, spacey. She has lost her mind, but she's rich so she can get away with it and she can have fun with it. Yeah, and she's saying to Soft, is like, hey, so when we get on the Ark, right? And he's like, yeah. yeah. There's not going to be any gravity, right? He's like, I, I guess. Yes. <laughs> so we're going to need like all it. these ropes to get around. He's like, sure, that Seems makes sense. Seems legit. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've got it right, right? I've got it right about what happened on the Ark or what's going to happen on the Ark? Well, yeah because i mean again soft is a religious figure essentially yep. he is uh performing the role of a priest and he's like uh sure yeah that seems like a good interpretation of uh scripture let's run with that and yeah. this is where we get the thing about the rope walkers right mm-hmm. this is uh gia introduces the rope walkers they've got like this big like huge tightrope set up above the plaza where everybody's milling about. And I just, it's just wild to me because it, the way it shot, everything seems like it's so far away until you realize it's all about 
maybe about like a few hundred cubic feet. Like, yeah, it's all just one plaza where the food comes out of the thing. Yeah, it's just this one big empty space. It's just some stuff is built up higher up and they they have these ropes that they can walk on that are like 100 feet above everyone. And, you know, sometimes someone just falls off and fucking falls to their death down on people. But, you know, that's what happens. That's that's, you know, you got to learn the rope walking though. Or how are you going to be able to get up to the the arc? I mean, that's going to be the fastest way. There's going to be a big crush. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, you got to get over them to get on the ark because there might not be enough room for everybody. Yeah, so the people who are on the ropes, you know, those are the people who have been training. We're they're going to get up there, and it's weird. It 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 almost turns into a Cirque du Soleil sequence. Like we go out a window kind and of, you see yeah. all these people on ropes and doing tricks. It's like, huh? It's kind of a very strange moment uh, of peace in the middle of this quite punishing, depressing movie. Yeah. Um, so they decide they're, no, after she explains to him about the ropes and how that's how she's going to get on the ark, uh, they decide to have sex, but they don't because he rips her blouse and then she just starts crying and that's how they spend their night. Yeah. It's just, they, they don't really have, yeah, they, they, like, again, he's so broken. He knows too Uh much about the, the actual lie and he just... And she's like, she fully believes in it too. And he knows that he's lying to her. Yeah. And she's created this whole extra thing on top of it. <laughs> he, he's well, having they to all kind of like, have, actually. Oh, everybody has. Uh, that's sort of the thing. He created a religion. He, he's this yeah. guy who invented a religion and now he's stuck in an enclosed space with all of his disciples. And it sucks. It's a disaster. Yeah. They all have all these ideas that he did not give them. It's like, <laughs> but he can't fine. shut them down either. He's like, fine. Yeah, that sounds good. I got, I got to get a hold of a Bible. Right, let me go search for a Bible. I bet our librarian guy has one. Ah, uh, the librarian guy would have one, wouldn't he? You'd think and that would make sense. <laughs> However, the Boers, the, though, is the there anything Boers. about the Boers in the Bible? Well, I don't know. That's why I need it, you see. (laughs) (laughs) He knows what to say to people. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, well, I mean, if if it's not, if it doesn't have the Boers in it, it was sent out. (laughs) Well, sent out where? Like, what do we do? Like, just get rid of the books? Oh, we'll just go up the stairs. You'll find out. He's like, well, I I put it in the cart and it goes in the cart and it's taken away. Yeah, that's that's it. That's so the end the of card. my interest in it. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I only care about. I've got orders to only preserve the books about the Boers because he's got because he still thinks the war is going on and he's still yep. trying to uh, make he's sure still fighting the war. Well, it's also a thing where he wants people to know that it was their fault. That yes. he wants the historical record to show that in the end it was the Boers who were the bad guys. Mm-hmm. So he needs to keep the the books that show that they were bad and that we were the good guys. But that's his whole thing. It's like, okay, you're an idiot. Also, he's kind of dressed like a Nazi. Kind of, yeah, kind of. He's got like the Nazi guy from Indiana Jones glasses. Yeah, yeah. He looks a lot like that guy. Uh, so uh, what ends up happening with the books? I guessed wrong. Oh yeah, they're the food. At first, uh, they're the yeah, bread. First, 
At first, I thought they were just going to burn him, but nobody's burning anything in this enclosed space. No. Thankfully. Uh, they so they go into the mulcher. They go into the mulcher, and I'm like, okay, well, they're mulching books. That's that's pretty bad, but it, no, it's worse than that. Well, because, I mean, it, it's, I mean, there's a purpose to it, at least. I mean, if there they were is. just randomly mulching all of the books for no purpose, it would be really stupid. But no, they're they're compressing them into bricks, and that's most of what comprises the bread that is served. Yeah, the the crackers that he's been eating and handing out this whole time is made from mulched books. Yeah, mostly. There's mostly. there's not a lot else. Yeah, and the guy's like, well, I don't know what I'm going to feed everybody when the books run out. Yeah, uh, which is going to happen actually really freaking soon because everything escalates super quickly he's like it's coming but he's not really gonna have to worry about it anyways no. i mean there there are other things that were only about to last a year because that's the thing there were only enough food stores to last about a year and yeah. not they it turns out not close to enough to last a year because they no. they did not estimate the number of people properly yeah there there's a bit where he goes to the food stores and it's just like like hundreds and hundreds of empty racks yeah it is just a huge empty space which that is kind of a weird thing that there are a handful of these giant empty spaces there's also the hangar where the plane is that we'll see in a bit uh (laughs) where why are all these people just milling about the dispenser there are place there is room uh well there's no food in those places, I guess. I guess, yeah. You just got to mill about. I mean, th- it's so much energy to go back over there to where the dispenser is. And you have to be around the dispenser. You got to, because <laughs> if you're not there, um, like, oh, yeah, we we, we didn't, we kind of skipped over it. But like when he's looking at the dispenser, people are climbing over themselves for the shit. They're fighting over it. It does uh, look like, again, it, it does have a rat park kind of energy, just rodents crawling over one another for food there there isn't much humanity left in these people Mm. they're they're just husks walking around in circles waiting for the dispenser and there's also that kid that we encounter who's i think also been in the previous movie Uh, the kid was in the first i don't know he might have been but the kid who's hanging out under the stairs and gets mad at soft yeah he gets mad at soft because soft (laughs) because soft isn't screaming and howling and wailing in despair like everyone else is and it's distracting the kid yeah it's it's kind of throwing him off like what the hell's with you why why are you so chill everybody else is just at, at the fucking end of their rope you're, you're yeah you're weirding me out guy he's like well i'm sorry <laughs> soft uh, is apologizing to people quite a lot in this movie yeah he is uh one guy he doesn't apologize to though is the freezer guy that guy sucks. <laughs> that guy sucks. So at the very beginning of the movie, when Soft is in like the worst toilet, in, like washing up and whatever, starting yeah. his day, um, I just realized these people probably don't even know what time it is at any given time. No, there, there's That's... no point to time. Like there's no, yeah. there's no day and night anymore. Yeah. Uh, but like at the beginning, this guy's like, hey, man, I want to show you my little paradise that I created in this bunker. You got to come see it. He's like, yeah, yeah. OK, sure. Yeah, I'll see it. Right. And, and much later on. Down. Yeah. He, he brings him into his cool bunker. And again, this is a guy who or at least his beliefs were created by soft. He is a guy who took the beliefs and ran with them in 
his own way and soft has to deal with the consequences of having planted this seed yeah so this guy is like okay the ark is coming but what if we die before it gets here well i'm just gonna go into this refrigerator here and then when everybody else is freezing all the power in the fridge will go out so the fridge will actually get warmer and i got all i've saved up all this stuff i've frozen all this food i've got all these like books and stuff i've got you know these two frozen girls and like oh and i've got women you you want to want to see the ladies i've got and of course it's two ladies he's murdered and uh has their corpses in the freezer yeah like like frozen in a block of ice like mr freeze style but yeah terrified screaming yeah and uh soft it's like oh yeah good 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 and he just slowly backs out and then he locks him in there permanently Locks him in and then takes the key and throws it into one of the like storm drains. Yeah. He's like to, to just keep the guy in there. Like, all right. Yeah. You, you stay in there guy. That's good. Yeah. So he finds out from the dying engineer about the airplane in the hangar. He's like, right. Yeah. Well, I built the thing. I don't know where it is, but if you can get city plans somewhere in this, uh, in this complex, there's a hangar with an airplane. And of course, there and, is. It, it's the millionaire who has it, right? Yes, it's the millionaire who has it, and he has been stripping the metal to make from the it money to print his coins, the arcs, which are the only currency that is going to be used on, on the, the arc. arc. Yeah, so they've been cannibalizing their only potential real hope for this weird fantasy item that they'll use for money in their fantasy future. Yep, and the guy and Soft loses it on this guy. He starts <laughs> beating the hell out of him, and the guy's like, "Well, what the hell, dude? Like, okay, sure, let's say this plane actually worked. We could only fit two hundred people on there. How are you going to decide who lives and who goes? A lottery system? A vote? What are you going to do, Soft?" And of course, Soft has no answer. And I mean, it, it's it's a moot point anyway. The, yeah, the thing it doesn't is, matter because there's not a whole lot left. He's been just taken apart this plane and it's ruined yeah and uh, it turns out that the dome is actually going to collapse a lot sooner than it sounded like because it's collapsing right now yeah it starts cracking and things are coming apart and it's it's falling in and people are it's a weird mixture because they think that the arc is arriving rather than that the dome is failing they think like oh shit it's time to go yeah, they're going <laughs> towards the light, but the light, of course, is going to be the irradiated outside. It's a nuclear winter. Yeah, yeah they're, they're they're rampaging over one another, like trampling people to death to get to nuclear winter. And that's essentially yeah. the last like 20 minutes is them fighting their way up to yeah, death. And, and the craft <laughs> is there. He's like, come on, we have to bring the boar books to the ark the ark needs to know about the boars help me and soft's like no i'm not gonna help you with this like, no i don't care it and doesn't he matter gets trampled yeah craft gets trampled to death uh, uh soft gets out yeah soft gets out to the surface to find obviously nothing although he there there is a dying fantasy of a balloon a hot air balloon with gia oh shit we, we skipped right. over gia's gia death because she, she fell <laughs> she fell 
he came back to visit her later on after learning about the airplane. Right. And uh, she, he watches her on the trapeze or the the tightrope rather. And she falls. And like he's, yeah, he's like, oh man, she looks so graceful. Like he's, you know, he's smiling. It's the first time we see her smile, see him smile. And yeah, she falls. She yeah, falls. she falls. She falls to her death. Uh, and that's that's around when it cracks. Like yeah. basically, everything sort of comes to a head. She falls. His it's it's sort of like the last shred of anything holding him to reality. Uh, yeah, because he's like alone in her room after that, saying all the stuff that he would say to her if she was alive. Like, oh, we'll go to Venice. This is what Venice is like. Mm-hmm. So and... it breaks him, and then of course that's the last crack for him, and then the. The dome cracks because he's sort of our main character. We're done. Uh, And yeah, he he imagines flying away with Gia in a balloon, which, you know, a hot air balloon, obviously, is not something you're going to really brave the (laughs) nuclear winter with. No, but but then he looks down and he sees, like, from the hot air balloon, and he sees himself on the ground just Mm -hmm. walking away crying. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's it. It is an extraordinarily bleak ending, uh, as as expected. Honestly, it's what I what I expected going in. Uh, but yeah. yeah, it's it's another fucking great one. I really oh, love yeah. all three of these. Um, I I like the I think I like the previous two better than this one, just because this one is so with the blue so light, it's so hard to watch. Yeah, that's fair. Uh yeah, I'm not sure what my ranking of them would be when we do the fourth one. Oh, we'll, yeah. we'll do a stack rank fall four. I, I yeah, for sure. I mean, we're not gonna we're not gonna skip out on the last one of this series. Now we're in too yeah. deep. At this point, I mean, we'll definitely cover that fourth one. So next, we go to or we journey to the beginning of time with director Carol Zeman. Uh, this is a Czech film from 1955. Uh, we previously covered Zeman. We did his Munchausen film from the same uh, excellent Criterion Collection set. Oh my God, I love this set. It's like it's like a pop-up book. Yeah, the packaging is very impressive uh, that each of them has its own pop-up, pop-up thing with a moving piece like Munchausen has him riding the cannonball. Mm-hmm. Great. <laughs> this one, uh, the one for this has them in the canoe uh, coming up to the woolly mammoth. Yeah. This is an adorable story. It's very <laughs> sweet. It's a good chaser. It is, I mean, it is a children's movie, but it's a, it's a kind of liminal children's movie. I, I love their, like, as you mentioned, it sort of feels like uh, an exhibit in a natural history museum, but like this incredible interactive one where like you are in the past. Yeah. Like the Ice Age bit with the mammoth reminds yeah. me specifically of the museum in our town, the Ice Age exhibit. The, yeah, the Royal like, BC Museum so similar. has their, it's it's classic mammoth. Yeah, so uh, we start with uh, our main guy, Peter, who's got this logbook, and he's writing in it about the best summer they ever had. Yeah. Uh, when their friend, uh, this little kid, Jurka, Yurka. Yurka is the youngest of the four. Uh, like the other three are teens and he seems to be maybe like 10 or eight or nine, 10. Yeah. Maybe eight or nine. And he, he's sort of the mascot of the group and he goes on sort of, he's the least responsible of them. 
And it's yeah, like, he, it's spring break. So they're going to like, hey, you know, it would be fun if we went to the beginning of time. <laughs> I'd love to see dinosaurs, <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, what happened was Yurka found this uh, fossilized trilobite. He's like, hey, I want to go see a real one. And he's like, well, you know what? Uh, they died out 500 million years ago, so we can't. And Yurka's like, well, in in the Jules Verne book, Journey to the Center of the Earth, they were able to go to the center of the Earth. So can't we do the same? And the kids are like, fuck like, it, let's go. He's like, yeah, you know, there's a there's a cave with a time river nearby. I, why don't yeah. we try that? And they do. <laughs> And they I, do. <laughs> there's really no drama about it. There's nothing about them searching for this place. It's just like, you know what? Come to think of it, the river of time happens to flow right by our village. Let's uh, go to, go up to that mysterious cave and we'll just uh, row up the river and we'll go back through time. Yeah. And so the first they go back through the Ice Age. And I love this. The the sets of the oh. Ice Age are just the, the <sighs> like, it, it's got. I could live here. Oh, it, it's so cool looking because it's. It's partially matte painting, but it's very well designed. So it just feels like this endless sea of huge shards of ice. Super cool. Yeah, it's so good. Like for me, this is probably the one in the set that I watch the most frequently because there's a very comfortable nature to it. Like I said, the liminality of it. All of these sequences in the past have just a, a very strange, cozy like natural history museum setting uh, but they yeah. all they feel fairly there's an uncanniness to it there's a reality to it but there's also an unreality helped by like the stop motion and stuff that you got oh the stop motion is actually it's really good here there's some very impressive stuff mm-hmm. uh, yeah a lot of this isn't even really a story it's just like the kids are we're watching the kids watching the cool animals doing cool shit and the one guy's like okay well this guy was one of this guy is called this and here's what they were all about yeah and it's working backwards through time so you start with the ice age and then you go back through different periods and he's like okay this is something that existed in this period and you observe a bunch like it's a very educational film but it doesn't feel like you're watching an educational film it does feel like a movie because mm-hmm. we do have we do have bits like every time they go to a new place they do go on little adventures in each of these time periods they aren't just rowing their boat and looking at things mm-hmm. uh, like the first one they encounter a woolly mammoth and then uh a hunter's cave uh, like a caveman's cave so right. tony the photographer decides like hey i'm gonna go get a picture of a caveman i'll be the only one in the world to ever have done this right and he's the first one actually who splits off yeah and he he goes looking for that i don't think he manages to succeed right they don't find a cave they don't find a caveman uh he falls into a hole and gets covered in mud and then when he reunites with the group they think he's the caveman right right there's a lot of little misadventures where one of them will go off on their own and find stuff. Of course, Yerka has the thing where he's lost the map, but he goes and finds the map again. Or no, somebody else lost the map. Right. Yerka ran off for some other reason, yeah. but happened to find the map. He finds the map along the way, and they're like mad at him, but then he comes back with the map. And it's like, okay, you're forgiven. Yeah. Um, th- we got a cool fight with these woolly rhinos. One of them pushes the other one into the river. Some pretty excellent stop motion stuff there. 
Uh, there's the Stegosaurus. I love the Stegosaurus. It's just and it's a Stegosaurus. Is it a T Rex? Yeah, Stego. Well, it wouldn't be a T Rex. Because, uh, uh, that, yeah, what is it? I guess it could have been a T Rex because back then they. Now we know that Stegosaurus and T Rex didn't exist at the same time. Back then they might not have known that. Yeah, I think it. I think it was a T Rex like thing. Yeah, uh, what I'm seeing is. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, not sure. Can't find it. There, there's confusing information on the wiki page. But anyway, <laughs> the, the stop motion Stegosaurus fight with the T Rex like thing is really rad. Like, it's, as good as anything Harryhausen was doing in the 50s. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And. And then, yeah, the the T Rex uh, gets the Stegosaurus, and he dies. And they're they're like <laughs> they're like checking out the corpse. They're uh, measuring him. It's like we have to measure all the the sizes of everything for science. It's pretty they're cool. Also climbing on him. Well, it's cool that they do the stop motion thing, and they're watching from a distance. But then it it gets killed, and they're like, "Well, let's go down there and check it out." And they just have a big model where you yeah they're they're next to this dead stegosaurus which is pretty cool mm-hmm. like a full-size uh, one oh god i like the 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 big derpy bumpy headed monster uh the ooh, oh god i wrote it down and i didn't think how the, to pronounce it the wintotherium that's it yeah when wintotherium i think it is uh yep. yeah that one's cute <laughs> it's very goofy looking. It's got big buck teeth. Uh, there's the uh, giant vulture ostriches that chase them a, le- a little bit. Yeah. There's all sorts of stuff. Like, again, it's just they go back through each time period. And in each yeah. one, they meet some sort of flora and fauna of uh, the era. And some of them are like semi familiar. Some of them are like earlier versions of uh, modern species. Like, there's flamingos and big snakes. Yeah. And ones that I, I've got written down as dummy thick giraffes because they got like these big thick necks. Yeah, <laughs> it just, I I don't know if I, I think it might have just been that they didn't have a good uh, giraffe reference image to work with or something. <laughs> it looks kind of goofy. <laughs> but, but you know, maybe prehistoric giraffes look like that. It's I don't know. totally possible. Yeah, I don't know either. Yeah. Um. They they also I, I also like the cool things that they do with their camps. Like one, they build like a tent over their canoe and sleep in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get like a little tree platform at one point. I really like that the further they go back, the denser things grow in around the river until when they're finally at the end of it, it's just like bush. There there's just a tiny trickle. Yeah, this is where they lose the book and Yurka runs off. Yeah, he's chasing a dragonfly, but then he finds this like doofy little salamander thing guarding the book. Right, it's kind of cute. <laughs> it's oh, it's super cute. I love this uh, salamander thing. But but yeah, he fights the book. He, he fights the salamander and gets the book back, and everybody's all like, oh. they stay mad at him for about like two seconds. I, I love that these kids just love each other, and they're yeah, all, they're they're very like, chill. Do There's, this adventure for Yurka. Like, again, in terms of this movie being a really comforting, appealing one, one that I like to put on late at night and kind of has a liminality to it. There's no drama either. Like, there's no drama between them. They're all pretty cool with each other. It's like, you know what? 
yeah, let's go and explore that. And there's no tension of it like, well, how will we find that? And it's like, you know what? Let's just take the river of time right back up to the beginning of time. Why didn't we think <laughs> of it before? Yeah, it's go. basically <laughs> like, all right, let's just go and do it. So all the, right, we're doing it. The Stegosaurus, it's a uh, Ceratosaurus. Oh, okay. Uh, rather than a T-Rex that it fights with. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. Which maybe that's what people thought the T-Rex was. Could be. Could be. Actually, yeah, like the 50s. Dinosaurs are still kind of new. So the 50s, they might not have even discovered the T-Rex back then. I think they had it. It's just it would have been a different name or the or mm. it, I mean, the, the thing is, a lot of what what they had were combined skeletons. So a lot of the dinosaur names that existed even up to the 80s don't really exist anymore are not believed to have most of them are just believed to have been mis misidentification. Like so. uh, I know the Brontosaurus was one of those. Yeah, yeah. Like th there is no such thing as a brontosaurus, at least as we understood it at the time. I mean, something like that. I don't know. There are so many of them. <laughs> no, that, yeah, that don't for quite sure. make sense because, yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, it's a ceratosaurus in that one. Uh, eventually, they get to five hundred million years ago, and there just is no river. It's just rock at this point. Right. They get to the coast because they they start walking. They leave the boat behind and. They find the trilobite, a living trilobite. Yep. They hold it to their hands next to the fossil that they have. And it's like a living one and the fossil. Just 500 million years between them. And yeah. this is what we wanted to show Yurka. Yeah, it's like, well, okay, cool. We did it. Let's let's head on home, guys. <laughs> oh, no drama about getting back either. Nope. They just did it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and then we headed home and it was the best spring break ever. <laughs> yeah, and to be fair, it would be. That fucking rules, man. I saw wish... dinosaurs. I want to do this. If I could, if it were truly this drama free to just like hop in a rowboat and row back to the beginning of time, be all over it. I'd love to. That would be so cool. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> I would love this as like a theme park. If you built oh. this, that would be rad. <laughs> oh yeah, but it's like not like a not like a Disney theme park, but like like a, a national park kind of set up like a national park, I guess, where you can go on a boat and like go camping and it's it's this long ass river. Yeah, it would be really cool to just take this route. It, it, it would you know, you could build all of the fauna in you, you or all of the flora rather. You, you build like most of that is um existing plant life <laughs> yeah like uh, like those tiny palm trees i like mm -hmm. but yeah uh it's it's fucking cool i i really just love the aesthetic of the film altogether yeah. there there's yeah such a cool look to all of the areas once you're in the past and most of it is just them traveling through the past there's very little setup Oh, the setup is just him in a room, like writing, and this was the best summer vacation we right. ever had. Here's what happened. Yeah. So there is also an, an American cut of this movie. Oh. Uh, that's included on the disc. It's worth a watch. It's interesting. I think, okay, I'll I have to check that there. out. Uh, I think it's also available on YouTube to watch the American version, uh, oh, okay. where they've they added american boys and then they dub in these guys in english and they have some american kids who kind of vaguely look like them 
Okay. <laughs> and they they change it to a framing story where it's a dream instead of a thing that they're actually doing. It's kind of lame. I like it that well, it's just it's just they go back in time because they could because there is a place to do it. Yeah. I I like the dreaminess of that. The just the sort of like the kid logic that exists within it. Uh, whereas in the American version, they're visiting the Museum of Natural History in New York, and then they have a dream sequence, and it flashes back to the movie. Mm, yeah, <laughs> no, I, I like it better yeah. the, this way. It's like, well, those guys in that book went to the center of the Earth, so why don't we go back to the beginning of time? Yeah, good idea. Yeah, it seems straightforward, and that's what they did. I love it. There, there's it's so drama free, and again, a perfect chaser for something as hellishly bleak as Opiopa. <laughs> oh, and, and it's breezy too. Like it's it's an hour and a half long, but it feels like forty five minutes. Truly, yeah, it it just uh, flies right by. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, that's... do you? I I guess that uh, is pretty much I... everything for both of those. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> so, do you have any last thoughts on either uh, Obi Oba or Journey to the Beginning of Time before we head on to our third part? Um. Yes, the Ark does not exist. It is not coming to save you. Uh. Sorry. <laughs> there is no hope. <laughs> there is no hope. Stop. <laughs> Stop having hope. Obi Oba, it has an ending as bleak as like the Friday the 13th NES game. It's like, <laughs> you and all of your friends have been murdered. Game over. <laughs> <laughs> it's the end screen, the kill screen of that. All of your friends and you have been murdered. Like, cool. cool. <laughs> I never played that one. <laughs> it's not very good. It's really no. hard to play. Uh, I've heard that. I've played it a little bit. It's just, it's not very intuitive and it, it's a lot of just going back and forth and waiting for an event to trigger. Not really a recommend. <laughs> I love the movies though, as we've spoken. Oh, I mean, <laughs> we're, we're, we have talked and will talk about loving those movies. Oh, highly established. All right. Well, on two or three. And we're back for part three, where we're talking about all the other movies we've watched in the past week and decide what we're going to cover next week. Uh, we've got an inactive stacks pick this week. All right. Uh, an actual stacks pick is quite rare. We haven't done one in some months. <laughs> um, <laughs> August, I think, August would be the, the last, last one. one. Correct. I don't even remember what's on there now. It might not even be the same as a as what i remember probably not there's a lot of stuff moved around i mean not a ton of stuff i guess because I, I mostly watched horror stuff uh but i've been moving some stuff around the last week or so okay well we've got 15 picks ish this week first ish, okay <laughs> ish first up is a good day to die hard oh it's um Bad day to watch a movie. Oh, is it not good? Oh, it stinks. It's really bad. I was taken aback by how bad it was, quite honestly. It felt oh. like a mockbuster of a diehard. It just oh. happened to have Bruce Willis in it. He just, he is sleepwalking through the thing. There, It's just, there's nothing to it. It's like his son is Interpol. 
and okay. is involved in, like there's a he gets arrested by the Russian government and they it, so obviously John McClane flies to Russia and they just I, I guess it's not actually <laughs> Russia, but they're just fucking laying waste. They're, there's so much destruction, but it's weird. It's it's very inert. There's not much to it. The The action is like, it's really shaky cam action for one. Oh, I hate that. I hate it. It's 2011, which I think was sort of the worst era for both severe shaky cam action and... Remember the teal and orange push era, oh, right? Oh, yeah. This um, movie is the absolute icon of both. Oof, okay. And it sucks. Like, the one-liners are garbage. There's just <laughs> no chemistry. I, like, it's him and his son, and his son is uh, Jai Courtney, and he just fucking doesn't exist. He stinks. He's so boring. <laughs> wow. All right. <laughs> uh, next, we've got the wrong guy. Uh, uh, we both watched that one. Yeah, I I actually have these a little bit out of order because I forgot I forgot to add a couple things to this list, but we'll just uh, go back and add those on the fly uh, now that I remember. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but first. The wrong guy, because uh, we watched this. It, it was the previous week, but we didn't cover the stuff for the previous week because we had the uh, vast backlog from the time off that we were covering right. last week. Yeah. So, yes, the wrong guy with Dave Foley. Uh, your <laughs> thoughts? Um, well, yeah, I had never seen this before. Uh, it's pretty funny. Uh... It's a really good time. I think it's an <laughs> underappreciated, very, very funny movie. Consistently funny. Like, every scene is pretty funny. <laughs> about a guy who's like just convinced that the police are after him and they absolutely are not it's a hitchcock pastiche like it is his like hitchcock has a movie the wrong man and he has a lot of oh. wrong man movies where it's just some dude is on the run because the police think he did something that he did not do and he has to clear his name or get sucked into a jet engine right exactly uh, <laughs> that, that guy was the wrong man Oh, that's uh, the wrong guy. Uh, the wrong man from the East. But uh, there, he has a whole bunch of, like, North by Northwest, I would say, is the most iconic one. And the one this is kind of most especially riffing on. But the, the twist here is, like, he happens upon the dead body and he obviously gets his fingerprints on the knife because he pulls yeah. the knife out of the guy's neck and he screams and he gets and himself covered in blood. and Puts it back in. <laughs> puts it back in. But, you know nobody ever suspects him because they have video of him making this mistake <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they have like, security do we, footage <laughs> do we need to track down the screaming person nah i don't think so i don't I, it's pretty clear they didn't do it well they're they're convinced that he <laughs> yeah they're convinced he's a woman as yeah. well and they, yeah they're just never looking for him also uh the laziest cop in human history <laughs> <laughs> this guy uh, i was like halfway convinced that this guy was somehow based on the sheriff from don't go in the woods but yeah so i i we we've missed saying his name like on two separate episodes david anthony higgins as That's the, the name of the the actor uh who's also okay. in malcolm in the middle who is in uh snake eyes snake eyes he's I, so I never funny knew his name He's so funny in this movie as oh, just the is... world's 
like laziest cop but incredibly also like the picture of wasteful police spending well yeah just anytime he hears about something that they want to track down a clue and it's like wait a second i actually want to go to that restaurant and order everything on the menu <laughs> it's like just oh hey get myself in the mind of the killer yeah let's get a private helicopter over there or whatever (laughs) and a blonde asian escort by the end he's like unwilling like he's in a a, one of those uh people carts he's he's commandeered (laughs) some uh disabled persons uh oh yeah the scooter scooter yeah uh what's the word rascal he's in like a rascal scooter there's the whole crazy thing where uh foley goes to the small town and is living with jennifer tilly and her dad joe flaherty <laughs> oh and the evil big business farmers are gonna foreclose on the small town honest hard-working banker that stuff is so funny yeah it's... farmer brown and his <laughs> mafia of farmers uh closing in on the bankers and of course my favorite line when he's trying to come up with the names jones Enema bag Jones. <laughs> yeah, he does the thing where he's like just looking at stuff <laughs> to see what his name's going to be. Um, and then he does it again at the end. He just looks at all this different stuff and then he just says his own name. He's like, fuck it. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, good, totally great movie. I love it. And of course, the actual killer is convinced that Dave Foley is like a mastermind super cop. Right, Comfior chasing him down, uh, trying to be. Uh, and he's like this super criminal. Uh, he can even pull himself up an event. <laughs> oh, oh, he, he does the freaking dual wielding pistols in a preacher outfit. He does. I mean, it's a very it's like 90s movie, too. Thing. Yeah. Um, so the, the two that I hadn't added to the list yet. Uh, first, The World is Not Enough. Uh, as we alluded oh. to last week that I had watched. This movie's uh, not enough to keep me entertained, am I right? You are correct. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, it was better than I remembered it, coming back to it. it, it maybe just in comparison to Tomorrow Never Dies and Die Another Day. Oh, oh right. This is the one where uh, the guy got shot in the head and it gave him superpowers, but he's also going to die. Well, it's not superpowers, it's just he doesn't feel pain. So... Oh, that's not a superpower at all. Well, it's it's problematic, but it also means that he just, like, he he doesn't feel it when you hit him, so he just keeps on he going can, at you. Yeah, he can uh, just, like, Iron Man you. Yeah, and he's slowly losing all of his senses. Uh, like, he, he has no sense of smell or sense of taste or anything either. Uh, but it's Robert Carlyle, as I mentioned last week, uh, who's Begbie <laughs> in Train Spotting, and is the most fucking boring performance imaginable. I cannot remember anything about his character other than the bullet thing. Yeah, there's What's there isn't anything. Else. I don't well, know. Well, the damnedest thing is he's supposed to be a terrorist. Uh, he, he's like um, he he's like a it's a Stockholm syndrome storyline where. Oh right. The he kidnapped he this girl, girl and she's in love with him for some reason. Yeah. Because he's so she... fucking charismatic. <laughs> and then she's like ends up 
being a villain. Yeah, she ends up the 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 twist at the end. I mean, spoilers, but trust me, you don't care. Is that she ends up being a villain? <laughs> uh, and Denise Richards in it is Christmas Jones. Oh, so is, this is the one with this Denise is the Richards. One. I c- couldn't remember if it was this or uh, the the previous one. Yeah, it's this one, and yeah, she's fucking awful. I mean, I. <laughs> I, I, we, we had good things to say about her in Wild Things. I think she can be well used. She's terrible in this. Just a total mismatch. <laughs> I thought Christmas only comes once a year. Fuck, so bad. It's so unbelievably uh, bad. And like when she shows up, she is Lara Croft. Like she's just patently <laughs> right. dressed as Lara Croft. It's right, ridiculous. You said me- you sent me pictures. <laughs> there is some good action in it, though. Like, there's all these sequences where they're being chased down by helicopters doing with, like, uh, the helicopter logging saws on the bottom. That stuff's Ooh. fucking cool as hell. Ooh, uh, okay. But good action, not a lot else. The The character stuff is just not there. And the action is not enough. And it's not enough. I mean, I, I saw this movie in theater, and I've seen it multiple times and i've completely forgotten it multiple times well that's the thing i saw this in theater too um i have seen this not that long ago um not last week but not that long ago and no i remember jack all yeah uh so next die another day the the following bond film uh much uh, the worse. Berry one that i have not seen it's so fucking bad <laughs> it's it's i i would say it is my absolute least favorite of the entire series just the series (laughs) straight in the toilet uh it's the only one where john cleese is q he's annoying he just does not fit it's it's the sort of thing that seems like on paper would work but it just doesn't he's he's obnoxious honestly yeah that i heard it's like oh john cleese is q that sounds perfect they just don't like he's not playing it right they they have him just be aggressive he's just like oh. aggro towards bond it's like why are we doing this <laughs> <laughs> what is this about uh the villain is like another elon musk type he's just another super rich guy who has a satellite uh he's also got like an ice castle at the end <laughs> sure cuz the the whole end sequence is Bond has this remote control car and it's being chased with space laser across like an Arctic shelf. Okay. And he drives it into the ice hotel and he's like driving through the corridors of the melting ice hotel because the space laser is melting it. And he has to save Halle Berry from drowning in her room. Huh in in the ice hotel also it turns out the bad guy is secretly a north korean guy who got plastic surgery to look like a white guy sure at the end or at the beginning bond surfs into north korea to perform an assassination and uh then he gets caught and he spends like a couple years in north korean prison or something that's the opening credits where he's being <laughs> tortured in North Korean prison to a Madonna song. Oh my God. I've seen that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just, I didn't see the bond surfing though. That's uh that, 
That's some uh, it's that's a bit of whiplash. It, it's just everything. It's it's such a mess. Uh, they they try to do things that are darker, but then they have things that are so so silly. Uh, it, it's it's the worst. Some of the effects are fucking terrible too. It looks bad. It's that specific era of CG, two thousand two. Oh yeah. Uh, awful, awful. <laughs> CG generally wasn't great in that day. No, they they hadn't got it yet. Uh, I mean, I'm still not a huge fan of it. Okay, so next, Incredible Kung Fu Mission. Uh, oh! This is kind of another Magnificent Seven thing. Oh, okay. Another Kung Fu one. Uh, so, or, you know, I guess then Seven Samurai is probably the more appropriate initial reference point. Uh, this one's John Liu, who was New York Ninja. Oh, he was going to be back at L.A. Ninja. You wish. I wish. <laughs> I wish. This is an earlier film. This is a 70s movie with him. It's uh, it, like, again, it's sort of a vanity project. It's clearly like very low budget. It's not a major kung fu picture, but it's he's it's I guess it's more Dirty Dozen than Seven Samurai because he gets a group of I think they're criminals, but they're they're not like they're not like criminals who have action backgrounds. Like one of them's a guy who works as a geisha. Okay. But anyway, he, he gets this <laughs> suicide squad and they they're sent to rescue his master from this fortress that it's a suicide mission. They're all going to fucking die going in there. And then it turns out at the end that the guy who hired them to do it really only hired them to extract the master so that he could personally kill him because he had a vendetta against him that just seems like a lot of wasted effort yeah <laughs> it's kind of a bummer <laughs> ending uh next we've got lady frankenstein Ooh. oh i didn't was this this isn't the third one is it this is the no fourth? no this is the 70s uh this, this oh. is an italian oh, one this is oh, a okay. this is from Severin's Danza Macabra Italian Gothic Collection Volume One, uh, and right. it is the last film in the box, which is why we are picking from the inactive stacks this week. Okay, and it's a it's, you know horny Italian Gothic. It's it's sort of a whole genre in and of itself in the late sixties, early seventies. I've mentioned a fair amount. I don't think we've ever covered one. Uh, it's got Joseph Cotton, who you rem may remember from Citizen Kane. Oh, <laughs> he's, he's the second lead of Citizen Kane, basically. You know, his 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 he's the the theater review guy. His right, right. Yeah, the the dude who does the tearing the paper thing is really bored at the performance and so forth. So he's <laughs> Doctor Frankenstein. Cool. <laughs> uh, and they've it's it's sort of a Burke and Hare thing. They've got him them stealing the bodies and all of that, and then. Uh, the the it's a live sequence. They do it, but they do it very hilariously. Understated. It's like it's it's alive. It's alive, huh? <laughs> and then the monster gets up and it gives him a hug and he dies. <laughs> <laughs> and then it just goes off and it is rampaging for the rest of the movie. Like it's like PG. It's on its age of chaos. Uh, but <laughs> his daughter has come to town and she has become. Uh, surgeon so she takes up the work and she starts doing her own mad science and so forth 
it's weird right. it's very weird uh she she hooks up with his assistant and the two of them are like working to get a hold of the monster and transfer his or no they there's this mentally disabled man who works with them or like who's you know he's an igor type right sure but sure. he's he's nice uh and they're they have her seduce him and then they kill him and they're gonna put the old assistant you know the gross old assistant guy's brain in the young hot guy's body but you know he's you know, it's it's fucking weird it gets fucking right. strange like again the the sexual elements of it make it very odd next we've got the magic crystal which is uh, another Cynthia Rothrock. Okay. Uh, you know, Kung Fu lady. She's pretty cool. She's mm-hmm. she's an undefeatable. Well, uh, I've seen a few things she's been in, yeah. Yeah, you've seen some of her stuff. Uh, so this one, it's about a magic crystal. of. <laughs> the, it's an alien crystal. It sometimes has legs and can walk around. It talks. <laughs> it's got kind of like a, a cute cartoon voice. So it befriends a small boy. It's weird. Oh, like, nice. Half of it is children's movie. And then half of it is just extreme violent Kung Fu triad <laughs> stuff. People getting <laughs> offed left and right. But nice. the, the crystal befriends the little boy. It's trying to get back to its ancient alien uh, to power the, <laughs> the, the ship back so it can leave Earth. It's hidden under some ruins in Greece. And there's just a, a whole bunch of triad agents trying to get the crystal back. <laughs> I'm just, I'm kind of just like imagining almost an ET plot, but like, yeah, with yeah. it's got yeah. kind of that energy to it. It's very strange. Uh, and yeah, they globe trotting adventure. They're dealing with like the KGB. Yeah, it's it's an odd one. <laughs> All right. Sort of like a wuxia with the, all of the magic crystal stuff, but then kung fu, uh, hard kung fu, 80s kung fu with the rest. Yeah, yeah, because Cynthia Rothrock isn't what I think of when I think of children's kung fu films. No, no, exactly. Uh, next is another one that you watched, Happer's Comet. Oh, yes. This, I enjoyed this. I could not. I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's totally just a mood. Uh, nighttime rituals. There's the people in the cornfield. There's the people rollerblading. Is that dude who only has just... one rollerblade? <laughs> yeah. Some people are just going to bed. Some are just staying up watching TV. You're just watching these people doing these things. Yeah, and it's a COVID movie. It's shot during COVID. It's shot under self-isolation. And... In a weird way, it kind of captures the feeling of that era to me better than anything else I've seen. Like, even though it's not explicitly about it, just the weird isolation of it, the the sort of distance everyone has. Well, my experiences with COVID were a little different being... Well, yeah, you had to work in an auto parts store. <laughs> yeah, uh, I wasn't isolated from fuck all. So next, Night of the Demon, which you also watched. <laughs> the Dick Ripper. <laughs> yeah. And 
Oh man, this this movie was it's a pretty, lot. It's pretty fucking crazy. The, the just the the Bigfoot cult is the really insane element that comes out of nowhere in this. And these students just ruining the life of this traumatized woman just to satisfy their curiosity. Right. She she just did not want to help them, and they they just bust into her house. And I mean, she has previously been raped by Sasquatch and given birth to his mutant child and yeah it's it's a pretty nuts thing it's one thing you can see why it landed on the video nasties where a oh, lot yeah. of them you look at and it's like i don't get it <laughs> <laughs> no you see full-on uh oh, yeah the guy getting his ripped, frontal dick, the guy getting his dick rip off is ripped off is so funny motorcycle guy <laughs> stops to take a leak and just is... <laughs> <laughs> and his reaction is just, oh no uh, and the, the really fakey tomato juicy blood that everyone has in this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sasquatch just like whirling people around with, in sleeping bags. Yeah, there's a couple of those. Those are great. Uh, it's fun. It's Yeah, it's trashy and it's really messed up at times, but it's pretty fun. I love just the flashbacks, which are just, we needed to insert a kill. So let's have a kill here. <laughs> And they're, oh, yeah, right. they're all kind of absurd. Right. He's just like telling about these actual kills that happened in the style of campfire stories. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we're going to be encountering this creature. So I just thought I'd scare you for no fucking reason. Well, I don't know if they even really expect to find anything. It's, it's, well, that's true. They, and of course, there's the flashback uh, setup where he's in the hospital and we know all of them have died. And he's supposed to be horribly mutilated, though. The way they but show he can him, talk just fine. Yeah, it doesn't seem to match up because he clearly got his face burned off at the end. But yeah, yeah whatever. His eyes were melted. Yeah. <laughs> Cut to he's just like wearing a bandana. It's like, <laughs> let me narrate this entire story. Uh, next up, we've got Top Line, also known as Alien Terminator. Oh, it's got Franco Nero. Uh, I don't know if you've seen much Frank O'Neill. He's a pretty big figure in Spaghetti Westerns. He was the original Django. Oh, okay. Uh, and he's diabolic. Uh, yeah. uh, he, he's the star of this. He's like a travel writer. It's one of those bootleg Indiana Jones of the 80s, like uh, Treasure oh, okay. of the Amazon that we covered. But right, this one right. is really, really elevated and just keeps getting crazier. Because he's just this drunk guy, and he doesn't really want to keep <laughs> doing travel writing. He's kind of just trying to drink himself to death, and uh, someone kind of forces this massive archaeological discovery on him. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, look, I found evidence of ancient aliens. It's like, I don't really want to deal with this. I'm busy drinking myself to death. And he just sort of gets forced into having the evidence, and then obviously the reptilians are after him. He's got... Oh, giant government conspiracy there it's mostly uh, the entire movie is just him running away from a series of different assassins <laughs> an assassination attempts <laughs> george c scott shows up and i guess he's supposed to be an evil government agent and he's chasing him in a buick through a cactus <laughs> field and it's like at low speed just uh franco nero is barefoot and he's like running through a cactus field barefoot and George C. Scott just very slowly driving after him and goes on forever but it just keeps getting funnier and funnier to me 
<laughs> nice. Uh, and of course, Alien Terminator, the title comes from at the end, Rodrigo Obregon, you know, Seth from Hard Ticket to Hawaii, you know, regular right. bad guy in the Sedaris films. Uh, he shows up as like Terminator. He, he is a cyborg assassin sent by aliens to kill him, but he's dressed like Michael Jackson. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's just a wild, crazy battle. They, they have to figure some way to blow him up. They take him through a fireworks factory. It's, it's pretty rad. When are they going to get to the fireworks factory? They fucking factory? get to the fireworks factory. They really do it. Oh, oh. Well, that puts top line <laughs> near the top of the near line. Near the top of the line, yeah. <laughs> Next, we've got Schoolgirl Hitchhikers. This is one of those, I can think of two things wrong with that title kind of films. Hmm, but there's only two things about that title. This is what I'm saying. So the thing is, they're <laughs> certainly not schoolgirls. And okay. I mean, they could be hitchhikers. I'm going to tell you, they'd never do any hitchhiking in this film. <laughs> but I, I think it's sort of appropriate to capture the energy of the movie. In It is a genre land. And it is a genre land about two women on the run, just as all of his movies are. So like. he was two orphan vampires, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so it's it's one of his. And it's just, let's do it. Let's do the two women doing stuff but this time it's like really pure american exploitation genre stuff so okay. it's these two ladies and they happen upon this abandoned building this is also a real roland motif big abandoned mansion it's like man this place looks pretty nice maybe we should sneak in there and they find it unusually well furnished and they find this really comfy bed and it's like this isn't suspicious at all every other genre land movie it would be a vampire's place you know, like usually you're going to encounter vampires here. Uh, in this one, it's a stash house for criminals. I oh, guess kind of. Okay. All right. So, it, you know, we have a whole scene where they uh, have a really long sex scene and then they go to sleep. And then one of them wakes up and sees a light on downstairs. She goes downstairs. There's this criminal hiding out. He's just brought some loot. Hmm. Or so there he's he's here to meet up to divide some loot with people and she has a really long sex scene with him <laughs> and then the other girl <laughs> wakes up and she comes down and uh they have a really long sex scene all together uh, <laughs> there's a lot of that uh and then ultimately the the rest of the gang shows up and they realize that the loot is missing but the girls have already left and they think the girls stole it so they go to grab the girls and they do a bunch of nipple torture uh, oh, 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 oh not <laughs> into that. Like, one of them gets away and she goes to town and she brings a private detective back. And then it's just kind of like a series of each person being taken away to be tortured because then they think they decide, oh, well, it must have been these private eyes who took it because obviously these ladies don't know anything. So let's torture the <laughs> private eyes uh, sidekick lady and. Oh like, no! It's 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 very ridiculous. It's sort of absurd. And finally, people all get together in a room. And it's like, look, obviously none of us know where this fucking thing is. I don't know why we're going around in circles with this. <laughs> like, we got here after all this started. How could we possibly know? The the <laughs> PI guy. It's like we, we right. came in here after the girl came to us after you were torturing her. How could we possibly? What are you thinking? It's like, okay, you. You're on the right track. I think you might be right. There's got to be someone else. 
Uh, it's weird. It's kind of goofy. <laughs> kind of silly. Uh, All right. <laughs> next, we've got... Uh, I, I have just one random nudist film as the title here. It's the expose of the nudist racket. I, I watched just the rest of the shorts on the set that had nudist life, 10 days in a nudist camp in Shangri-La, which I talked about last week. Figured like, right. hey, let's watch all the rest of it. It's, it's a huge grab bag of stuff that they included on this one. Pretty cool Kino compilation. Uh, it's it's part of their Forbidden Fruit line, which is uh, they, they do in partner with something weird that are all just weird early exploitation and uh, instructional film type stuff. And this one's all okay. nudist films. So I watched all the shorts. There, there's like an hour's worth of shorts in addition to the three features. And they're all weird. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> so there's Back to Nature, which uh, of the three, I would say, is probably the best in that it's like less than 10 minutes and it's mostly <laughs> original footage, I think. Uh, I mean, there's not much. It's, it's just uh, this is... I, I, what I like about it is that it's just very straightforward and feels like authentic documentary where they're like, this is a real nudist colony. Here's just what it's like in this nudist colony. This is the philosophy of a nudist colony. And there's a narrator who goes over all that. And you just have several long shots of people being naked in places. Okay. And it's in color and it's kind of scenic and it's like, all right, good. Great. That's, that's uh, uh fine. <laughs> Next one is the expose of the newest racket, which is the one I put there because it's the it's Dwayne Esper who's notorious. He did Sex Madness, which you've seen. Oh, a yeah, weird <laughs> sex scare film with some fucking horrifying uh, footage of like uh, just uh, genital diseases from. Uh, uh, Oh, stuff. I had blocked most of this out. <laughs> yeah, this one, it's him talking about nudism. Uh, so it's, in, in terms of script, it's really funny. Like, it's it's highly, it's the most written of the bunch. They're, they're really trying to throw a lot of words in there. He was a real showman. Uh, but it's also very unpleasant, and there's, like, a heavy, heavy amount of fat shaming. Oh. Uh. And it's, it's especially strange because they'll say that yeah all all shapes and sizes are accepted and it's rude to uh you know point differences out and then the narrator will say that and then he just keeps harping on this one large person who's in the footage oh it's, it's kind of not great we accept all shapes and bodies except this fucking fat ass yeah and then he will just literally go hey hey who let her back in the shot again it's like come on dude <laughs> not yeah, cool. don't be that way uh and there's nature girls which i don't clearly recall there, there's like <laughs> there, there's five of them there's nature girls nudes nudists and nudism around the world which was the worst that one was i mean it's mostly old ethnographic footage and the narrator just being super fucking racist about you know savages and you know, they're primitive oh. ways of life, and it's it's pretty bad. I see. Uh, and Nudist Memories, which is a British one, where they just, it's like these two girls go on a trip to a nudist camp, and it is just her narrating the adventure of going to a nudist camp. 
Or no, I guess it's not British. I think it's dubbed in British, but I think it's in Germany. Oh, okay. Anyway, none of them are good per se, but again, <laughs> it's it's a fascinating genre looking into the nudist camp era. Just a whole weird philosophy that had a huge vogue for a period of time. Uh, right. <laughs> next, Arena, which is the next one from the uh, Arrow Empire of Screams, Enter the Video Store box. This is the only one I had never seen before from the set. Oh. Uh, so it is set in the distant future, and there's uh, it, it's a battle planet, an arena planet, where uh, aliens have fights, you know, it's championship fights, right? Right, right. Like um, uh, UFOC. Like, yeah, yeah, UFC, exactly. But UFO. That kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, our main character is this human who's a short order cook in one of the cafeterias on the battle planet. And he gets in a big fight with some aliens. Uh, and he, he like worships the old human fighters, but they don't have human fighters anymore. Right. Uh, because... Because <laughs> reasons, I don't know, it's sort of political. I, 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 it, it's not exactly clear. It's something because they have this handicapper machine that makes any different alien race being able to match up with the other one by equalizing their handicap. So I, I don't really understand. Uh, Humans just suck. I don't know. He, he gets in a fight <laughs> with some fighter. Like there's a pro fighter who shows up to make trouble. He's like a fish man. Uh, because he gets in a fight, his boss gets in a fight with these other two fishmen, these younger fishmen. Uh, and so he's a really like our, our guy turns out to be a really great fighter and he punches the dude out and, you know, he becomes the great human hope. They, because he punched out a real fighter, they get him into the arena and yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you get the idea. Sure, he's got to become champion for humankind, save the human race by beating people up. Yeah, it's fun. Huge rubber suit monsters, tons of them. Nice. I do love those. Next is one I think you have, Pray for Death. I believe you have a copy of this movie. I haven't seen it. Uh, It's a Shokushugi film, uh, which stars both him and his, both of his kids, like his real family. Okay. it's sort of interesting as a hinge point. I was thinking about how Kung Fu films really represent the seventies where while Kung Fu definitely continued in Asia in a big way, it sort of lost traction in the U S and was overtaken by the ninja film. This is a ninja film. Mm, I haven't seen nearly as many of those. Yeah. Or not. I, I mean, I, have kind of gotten into them latter day, but I, I do love them. And Shokushugi is sort of like the main guy of these, you know, he's the ninja and enter the ninja. I mean, like he's, I think Franco Nero actually is the white ninja, but he's the, he's the evil ninja in enter the ninja. And then he's the ninja in ninja two and ninja three. Oh, okay. Um, He's the main bad guy in the first episode. I think maybe the first arc of uh the lee van cleef ninja tv series lee van cleef ninja tv series <laughs> yeah. is that a real thing <laughs> I, I regret to inform you that it is uh <laughs> he drives around in a van solving mysteries with ninja 
<laughs> and of course, in my mind, I'm picturing him with like the black hat and everything. <laughs> I mean, basically, I mean, he wears he wears a gi, uh, which is also pretty <laughs> funny. But uh, he's he's kind of a master shredder type, and he's hanging around with Tim Van Patten, who I don't know if you'd recognize, uh, but he's he's sort of the comedic sidekick guy who he's training to also be a ninja fighter while dealing with these mysteries. And they have a pet hamster that runs in a wheel when the van goes fast. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, it's called uh, the master. Uh, and Shokushugi <laughs> is the main villain who has like a past with uh, Leaf and Cleef. Anyway, <laughs> pray for death. Uh, he, <laughs> He's like this high-powered businessman in Japan and then decides to just give it all away and move to, like, shithole suburb of Houston because <laughs> the, there's this dude who's selling uh, a burnt-out old bar that they're going to refurbish into a Japanese restaurant, which, I don't know, doesn't seem like the right area of town for it, for one. Suburban uh, Houston, maybe not, maybe not. I mean, it's not suburb; it's urban hell, Houston. Like it's it's like oh. the really worst spot of town. Like a oh, real, yeah, maybe not. It, it's like a Skid Row type area. They come in and they like having to step over multiple people passed out from drugs and booze on the street next to their home. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> uh. So anyway, they buy the place, and it turns out the cigar shop, which has been out of business and closed for like 20 years that they also bought. That's part of like this whole building. Like they bought a big chunk of real estate for cheap. <laughs> sure. Uh, it, it's been used as a stash house for this criminal syndicate. And uh, the corrupt cops who were stashing stuff there realized that the guy's moving out and they, they decide to lift something from the package because then there's going to be an easy person to blame. And this is what causes everything. You know, they go after the guy who was moving out and they kill him. They realize he didn't have it. So they go after his family. Uh, they hit and run his wife and one of the kids. Oh, God. <laughs> the villain is really fucking elevated in this. He's totally insane. <laughs> uh, obviously, uh, ultimately, Kasugi has to become the Black Ninja and he's going to go after him and get Ninja Vengeance. Uh, it's great. Gotta I fucking love vengeance. it. <laughs> it's a really rad movie. You got some great fucking car explosions with dummies burning in them. Always love Oh, that. nice. Nice. Next, we've got Hard Target. Uh, John Woo's first American film, I think. Oh, I haven't seen this. Uh, it's a Jean-Claude Van Damme. It's also got uh, Wilford Brimley, who fucking rules. Uh, Wilford Brimley as a Cajun with a crossbow. Cajun moonshiner oh, with a crossbow. Oh, fuck amazing. yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> that's what you come to movies for. Uh, it's super John Wooey. It was really fun to watch it after Pray for Death and seeing like the clean 80s action. And then you come to that very specific ultra 90s, ultra stylized 90s action of John Woo. You got the doves, you got the slow-mo you got people diving sideways with two guns uh <laughs> the part that made me laugh the hardest the all of the jokes in this movie are fucking terrible like the the one-liners make no sense everybody talks like a fucking alien but sure <laughs> you have like a sequence where jcvd is doing a handful of one-liners to these dudes who are 
harassing some woman who's looking for her missing dad and he has some like he does some gay joke where he's like why don't you take your boyfriend out of here and everyone just kind of stands <laughs> around for a second like what did he say i don't even know if that made sense <laughs> and the like the them standing around is kind of funny but then they do like a slow-mo hero shot of him like adjusting his duster to make room for him to do one of his super high kicks i fucking fell on the floor <laughs> laughing just the, the the drama of him moving the duster out of the way so he could start doing his high kicks you know he kicks, <laughs> kicks the shit out of people lots of amazing right. stunts you know it's a john woo there's crazy action sure. in it. uh it is about lance henriksen as this guy who has uh created a most dangerous game service uh they oh. they get a hold of combat veterans and they hunt them for sport uh they they get rich people and they go after them on hunting expeditions oh man chains has really uh um stepped up his game yeah so they uh in the opening sequence we see one of the hunts they're they're going after this homeless guy uh and they kill him and then it's his daughter comes looking for him in New Orleans. So uh, she hires JCVD to show her around town because he helps her out with these uh, criminals who go after her because she flashes a bunch of money in a bar, which is the scene I was right. talking about where he does the high kicks. Okay. Okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they, they realize that, they're on to them so you know they're dealing with these assassins and they're you know we have a bunch of most dangerous games scenarios running through they keep going back to this one guy who's an intermediary and everybody keeps torturing this same dude which is pretty <laughs> funny yeah it's a nice. good time uh, yeah again that that peak action era this is a couple of years later but it's it's moving into the more stylized stuff that the 90s would be uh more known for like the later nights. All right. You know? Yeah. Next, we've got Alien Outlaw, which uh, is a Lash LaRue picture. Oh, really, the... really latter day. <laughs> the hypnotist from uh, Please Don't Touch Me. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, correct. Uh, he's okay. he doesn't ever pull out a whip well, in this, this one. Way after that. Yeah, it is from the eighties. <laughs> Holy shit! He must be so old. He's pretty old. It's it's late eighties. Um, he's not. He never pulls out a whip in it. I can't fucking believe it. Uh, oh, he, so it's um, these aliens land in like rural Virginia, and uh, this guy's driving a a trailer load of vintage guns to a Wild West show, and they get a hold of it. <laughs> So it becomes okay. kind of a slasher movie with like the aliens just shooting and raping people. Uh, oh. And they're, they're really cheap fucking alien outfits, like bad rubber suits. They got them at Party <laughs> City, you know? Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, but, the, you know, they're out hunting. They're like redneck aliens with fucking six shooters and they're having fun hunting people. Uh, and there's this lady who is... Like it was her guns that got stolen. So she's out to find the guns and find what happened to her driver and whatnot. And uh, she has 
the shortest skirt imaginable. So you see her butt the entire movie. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and she uh, she goes she eventually shoots all the aliens and they explode. Nice. Uh... <laughs> you know, it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Uh, and last up is uh, it's it's one of these movies that's it's an exploitation movie known under a billion different titles. It's hostages. It's under siege. I think the best title is its original Spanish title, uh, Traficanza del Panico, or Panic Makers. That, that seems the most accurate because it's just kind of everything. It's it's an onslaught of fucking just action mayhem. So it's a Rene Carded. Uh, Rene Cardona Jr., a uh, guy who did Treasure of the Amazon. Right, okay. A uh, few years before that, it's more of a, it's kind of, it starts out, there's this group of criminals, uh, this this big criminal gang, they knock over a casino. So, daring assault of a casino, they uh, causing huge mayhem, they all have assault weapons, and then as police arrive, they split up into three groups and they all go on the run. Okay. All of them having money on them, like each of them having big hordes of money. Uh, and then the rest of the movie is just all of them trying to escape the different ways they, diff- the way everybody goes, it goes through different genres of movie. It becomes a home invasion thriller for a while. They do a whole hostage negotiation thing. They have like an airport disaster. It's, it's crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a was... whole lot of shit. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh it's it's fun it's wild uh you know it's one of those cool cool so those are our 15 ish choices uh i guess it's more like 17 ish uh I'll, I'll add those bond ones in sometime later yeah yeah so 15 to 17 ish is what it looks like yeah um so i'm thinking hmm, what am i thinking uh I do want to do Pray for Death because, you know, you I, I've had a copy of it sitting <laughs> for like ever and I'll probably never get to it otherwise. <laughs> it's a really good movie. It's quite a bit of fun. Uh, but let's see. Maybe maybe I could add another one onto there. <laughs> yeah. Well, what would go well with Pray for Death? There's a hard target probably would. Magic That's... Crystal kind of maybe. Top line hostages uh, i mean like the mm. action ones i feel are the <laughs> ones right. that really fit uh oh. not so much a good day to, to die hard maybe not uh actually yeah 80s action it's gonna be let's do shit these are all kind of 80s uh let's <laughs> let's, let's do hostages okay so hostages and pray for death, and pray for death. Uh, so for our main pick, we're going into the inactive stacks, which we haven't touched in quite a while. A very long time. Longer even than our regular stacks, I believe. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, so we got a lot in here, but I had kind of alluded to having an idea what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. And I still kind of have an idea uh, because what ended up happening last year and the year before in November, I had picked from the inactive stacks the first year that we did this. Uh, what was it? A fistful of dollars. And then just completely by coincidence, not even planning it, uh, like the exact year later, I picked uh, the other one, um, a few dollars more. Hmm. 
And now we're in November. We might not be in the exact same week, but we're pretty darn close. So you're thinking the good, the bad, and the ugly. I am. All right. Third in the Man With No Name series. And it's been long enough now that since I've seen it that uh, a lot of it's going to be new to me again. Fair, fair. Yeah. And it's a great movie. Big, huge fucking epic. Yep. uh, Incredibly influential. uh, Ridiculously good score. Oh, yeah. One of the all-time great Morricone scores. One of the most influential. Like, that's maybe even the most influential part of the movie probably yeah actually i I think so copied and uh, because i mean a lot of the other stuff had been established by the first two this just kind of perfects a lot of it in a way it's the really big sweeping version i mean this is this is the one that has the song that everybody uses for a showdown yeah Uh, it rules oh it's so good uh so yeah i'd love to talk about that cool so then yeah next week we'll be doing the good the bad and the ugly as well as pray for death and hostages uh so a lot of action big action-packed week next week Mm-hmm. it's gonna be fun should be good so do you have any last thoughts before we close out for this week uh shit i can't remember a, a clint eastwood line from the good the bad the ugly <laughs> he doesn't have many <laughs> he's only got a few i mean that, that's that's has that's one of the beauties of that character he's a man of few words mm-hmm. all right well uh thanks everyone so much for listening this week and uh this is a song about freedom <laughs> this is a song against hate Hang on, I can do that better. <clears throat> this is a song against hate. All right. <laughs> so long, everybody.